Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome missing. The Carl Nelson Show. You're rocking with the most awesome missing. All right, let's go. And Grand Rising, wake up, Scott. Thanks for starting your day with us again. Later, clinical industrial psychologist Dr. Edwin Nichols will be in our classroom. Dr. Nichols is known for exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. Dr. Nichols will report on the expected impact of AI, artificial intelligence, on the black community. Before Dr. Nichols, Detroit activist Sister Shoshana Shakur will preview the Malcolm X 60th anniversary in the Motor City. But to get us started, DC holistic doctor and the restaurateur, Dr. Baruch is here. Good morning, Dr. Baruch. Good morning, my brother. How are you? Excellent, brother. Excellent. Listen, I was just seeing a report here that talked about cancer and, and cancer's relationship to sugar. And the, the, the doctor, I guess an Asian guy, and I posted this, says that, that you know, you, you, cancer, you don't have to have cancer. you got to put that sugar down. Is, is there any correlation? Because I've heard T. Gregory say that sugar was, was the biggest drug that we've got on, on the planet right now. He used to talk about that. But is there any relationship to sugar and cancer? Absolutely, Brother Carl. First, thank you for having me on. And uh, not just cancer, but poor health. We know that there's a relationship between uh, sugar and, and poor health. And what that means is that um, as we reflect on the, the last 100 years and the amount of sugar that we consumed 100 years ago is far less than what we're consuming today, and especially processed sugar. The amount of processed sugar has increased dramatically, and along with that has a myriad of illnesses. So whether it's arthritis, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, all of those are worsened by the consumption as a result of the consumption or overconsumption of sugar. Now, we do need sugar. There's an amount of sugar that the body needs as, uh, and, and can be burned as fuel. But uh, in large, you know, the, the, the United States population and those of us in the African-American community consume way too much sugar. And as a result of consuming that sugar, we find ourselves uh, afflicted with so many health challenges. And, and when we get those health challenges, we find ourselves unable to successfully fight them or defend the body against them because we know sugar shuts down the immune system. There's a, there's a, a, a I guess, I guess an unscientific uh, knowledge that you take three teaspoons of sugar and it will shut the immune system down for an hour. And you think about the amount of sugar that we consume over the course of the day. We start with our toothpaste, our juice in the morning, our, our cinnamon bun, our coffee, our latte, you know, the list goes on. So before 12 o'clock, we've consumed so much sugar that our immune system struggles to function at all over the course of the entire day. But, Doc, that's scary. It's just about everything's got processed sugar in it. How do we, how do we get away from that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not sexy, but we, we end up having to roll the calendar back and consume a diet that we probably consumed 100 years ago is a real quick answer. 
But other than that, we just have to reduce the amount of artificial foods, the amount of artificial sweeteners especially. And, uh, and definitely, you know, we need to pull back on the amount of sugar that we're consuming. Three after the top. I was just waking up. I guess he's Dr. Baruch. You know him in from Washington, D.C. He's a holistic doctor, also a restaurateur. Doc, the weather's getting cooler right now. Are there any things, any food groups that we should be eating or, or, or avoiding? Can you help us out here? Well, I think the, 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 the issue with going into the cooler months, you notice how we eat for the season? You know, you notice that during this season or during this time of the year that the citrus fruits, are more in season. Well, there's a reason for that, and that's because, of course, they're a natural defense against many of the health challenges that we have during this time of year. But in addition to that, we want to pull back on some of the foods that are so high in calories that, you know, we may not ever burn them off, you know, because we're not as active as we are in the summertime or in the warmer months. So as things cool down, we want to be careful not to eat heavy or so heavy such that we, we burden our body All right. Now, it seems like we had a problem here, family. We're going to try to figure it out, what happened here. But uh, we're speaking with Dr. Baruch, and we seem like we got, uh, our lines got crossed or something happened. But we're talking about, you know, the changing seasons. So Dr. Baruch was telling us what we should be, what we should be eating, the change in our diet. We also talked about uh, sugar, the impact of eating too much sugar. Because I was mentioning to him, we started program about sugar. There was... Uh, you know, a doctor, an Asian doctor, said that sugar causes cancer, a lot of sugar. And Dr. Baruch was breaking us down to how much processed sugar there is that's out there. Cause, and, and you never know it. And he went through the litany of stuff that you probably have in the morning for your breakfast. And all that contains the processed sugar. And the, and the question I was putting to him is, so what's, what's the alternative? So when he comes back, after we get him back, we'll figure that out, what the alternative. Also, got to ask him, because, you know, in a couple of weeks, It'll be uh, it'll be Thanksgiving, so we'll figure out what's the alternative for Thanksgiving, and if his restaurants are, are you know will be serving special meals for folks who don't eat the, the, the turkey. So, Doctor Brew, uh, thank you for coming back. We must have dropped the line, must have dropped or something. But uh, I'll let you finish your thought, though. Okay, I don't know exactly where I lost you, but I would. I'm just reminding us during this time of the year, it's time to eat specifically to support wellness through a period of time where many of us are suffering with bronchitis. You know that we're just arriving or, or getting into that flu season, and we need to be careful what we're consuming, how it's going to impact our respiratory system, but also, of course, how it's going to impact our circulatory system. So there, there are a number of areas that we need to upgrade. And, and for those of us who don't eat healthy, that's my suggestion. Just upgrade. Don't wait until New Year's Day to now start your resolution. Start your resolution now because this might be your last year if we don't give stronger consideration to eating a healthier diet. You know, you talk to a lot of people all the time about uh, changing their diet, Doc. And what are some of the excuses they give you for not changing? They, you know, I, I know some of the elderly or the older folks saying, that, well, this is what I ate. This is what my parents and my grandparents uh, gave me. And, and they lived a long life. Nothing happened to them. You get that kind of excuse. But uh, they don't know what we know today, you know. So what, what are some of the excuses they give you for refusing to, to change their diets? I think the, the trust factor is probably the biggest issue and the fact that they trust that if 
if it's made available at the grocery store or somebody's selling it in their restaurant, then they can't sell that which is not good for us. They can't sell that which would poison us or which would harm our health because otherwise the USDA would prevent them from selling it. So this, it, it all must be good. And plus you look at other people in a restaurant or in a grocery store and you say, well, they all look like they're still alive and doing well. So, you know, I, I should be all right. And and I know I have a friend who eats terrible, and, and they are healthy. They're not overweight. They don't have any health issues. Or even some of us are overweight, and we'll say, well, I just got my came back from the doctor, and although I'm 100 pounds overweight, he said my cholesterol is good, my blood pressure is good, my heart is good, everything is, everything is good. Keep doing what you're doing. No, we, we, we make excuses. The old excuse used to be my grandmother and grandfather ate this way and they lived to be 90. Well, we can't do that in this generation because our grandparents aren't living that long. And they're not living that long without being sick. And that's a big deal because now we're not getting old and dying. We're getting sick and dying. And that's, that's a real problem in our community, that we've accepted the reality that we're going to get sick and die as opposed to getting old and die. And, and you, know, you mentioned about the supermarket, uh, Doc, and, and uh, I saw an article about in Europe, in the U.K. specifically, that uh, the same products that are in, in America and the same products in the U.K. and the American products have so many, so many different elements or chemicals in them than in the Brits, what they get in the UK. Is, is this a government-issued thing? Is this, what's, what's, the, what's going on here? Why the difference? Why do they have less preservatives and, and chemicals in there? Same food, same brand, same company, you know, than we, we hear. We've, it seems like we're just loaded with all kinds of, of chemicals in, in our food. Well, I think, Carl, you have to look at what your government, again, I go back to that trust factor. We trust that the government is looking out for our best interests. So we think that if, if it's being made available to us, it must be government approved, therefore it must be healthy, or at least it won't kill me. And that's not the case. You know, we're, we're seeing that our communities, especially communities of color, are under siege. And we can't figure out why over the last 30 years, Carl, and you remember, we would look at a Soul Train show, and all of us were skinny as a rail back in the 70s. And, and yep. now it's, it's hard to find, you know, five people in, in our community without four of them being overweight. That has become the norm. That has become the accepted norm. Not only that, we, we, we elevate it. You know, we'll give somebody accolades for, you know, man, you big-boned and heavy-structured. You know, and, and, and they've turned things into a positive, and we call it, uh, Patrick Moynihan called it defining deviancy down. So those things mm -hmm. that are bad, we've decided to define them as good or not as bad, and therefore more acceptable. So we're more acceptable of unhealthy, uh, an unhealthy body. So we look up today in our, our, the United States government, yes, it allows ingredients in the food that they don't allow in other countries because their government cares about the people in the country. The United States government is not as concerned. And I, I remember an article I read about cigarette smoking. They said the United States government would, would never, you know, stop the sale of cigarettes because if they did, it would damage the Social Security budget. It would damage it because people would live longer. And if people lived longer, it would impact the economy of the United States government. So people dying, you know, after 
30 years, 40 years of working whatever job that they're working and not drawing down so much money off of their pensions or their Social Security benefits the government, benefits the system that we're in. Wow, that's interesting. But listen, we're coming up on a break. When we come back, though, uh, Doc, uh, talk to us why the incidence of, of kidney problems and high blood pressure, if they are connected, seems to be sprouting up. And it's unabatedly. Every other day I'm hearing, you know, practically hearing someone who's got a, someone that I know has got a kidney problem or, or, or hypertension. And I'm wondering where, where this is coming from. Are they eating th- things or are we eating things different from the other folks? Or is our, our, does our body act react differently to these, these products? The other, the other people are not, don't seem to have as many kidney issues and hypertension issues as we do. If you can explain the difference in that, I really appreciate it. 14 after the top there. As I mentioned, we're going to step aside and get caught up in our first look at the traffic and weather in our different cities. We're back in Formish, though. You want, you want to join this conversation? Hit us up at 800-450-7876. Dr. Brook will take your calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, he's a holistic doctor, he's also a restaurateur, Dr. Baruch. You've been in the district, you've heard about his restaurants. We're going to talk about those in a moment as well. As well what's, what's, he's got planned for Thanksgiving. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. 800-450-7876. Before we I get him to respond to the, about the kidney issues and, and the hypertension issues in our community, uh, Mark from Baltimore is joining us. Mark is on line two. Good morning, Mark. You're on with Dr. Baruch. Yes, sir. Good morning, uh, everybody. I had a question about the idea of community gardening uh, because I noticed that it's becoming more of a big trend in some communities where you get to grow your own vegetables and fruits. You get physical exercise doing that. You are able to control what you grow, how you water it, and you you do it your own way, you know, without all the processed uh, ingredients that go into fruits and vegetables and all. Uh, What do you think about that concept? And for those of us who are interested, what are, what are some of the resources we can use or find so we can get the community garden work started? Uh, thank you. All right, thanks, Great Mark. question. Great question. And uh, absolutely, community gardens are the way to go. Again, we're talking about going back 100 years, Carl. 100 years ago, we ate out of our backyard. We knew what we were mm-hmm. eating. We knew what went into what we were eating. And not only did what, not only did we know what we were eating, but the soil and the food that we were eating knew what we needed. You know, there was a practice back then that my, my grandmother would engage in. She would spit in the soil as she was planting her food. She would spit in the soil, and she would also walk barefoot. And the reason why she did this is because she was having a conversation with the soil. She was letting the soil know what her biological needs were. By walking barefoot and by spitting in the soil, the soil then responded by giving her body exactly what it needed. Now, we look up today, much of our food is not grown in soil that we're familiar with. Many times it's it's brought in from other countries. Uh, It's not the same quality. It's definitely not, you know, this whole notion of organic only came about as a result of the poor practices that the the warehouse and and these, uh, these farming industries have brought to the to the to our food so now we've got this whole classification of organic well that's all we ate that's how we ate we didn't know any different than that but now as a result of them damaging the food now we've got this this new food classification that was it was just what we ate and i think that ties right into your question brother carl and i would have to start by saying 
food is being used as a weapon. And that's why in other countries they don't allow this food. Countries that are, are not looking to be damaged by the United States food or the food that we offer here in America, it is they, they don't allow that weapon in. So you see in, in poor countries, that's one of the first agreements that America makes is, okay, we're going to provide you with funding, but you got to stop growing your own food. Or if you do, you got to give it to us, and we're going to give you our food. We're going to give you these process, this processed food, and your country people are going to love it because it's from America. Well, that's the reason why we see obesity rates, high blood pressure, heart disease raising in some of these lower and underdeveloped countries because they're consuming the diet, the poor diet that we have here in America. Now, let's go back to what you were asking about heart disease, high blood pressure. Right. Before we do that, though, Doc, Mark's question about community gardening, and we should engage in that. And as you mentioned, it was a nice story, though, you told us about your grandmother. But is it practical and now the weather's getting colder to start a garden? Oh, yes. There's certain crops that grow in the, in the colder weather. However, your, your, first, your first comment about practicality is real key. We don't live in the world that we lived in 100 years ago where we had the time to, to necessarily plant like we used to. When you think about the amount of time that we have to spend traveling to work, working, coming back from work, social media, television, and, and, and the fact that our family dynamics have changed very you know, very oftentimes you don't find a whole family where uh, a husband and wife exist inside of a home that are able to support and the, the growth and, and, and maintenance of a family. And it, single and single parents are, are raising families now, and they don't have time because now they because they now have to be two incomes and both parents, and all the work has to falls back on them. No, it's not as practical as it was back then, where not only were there two parent homes. But grandma lived with us. Auntie might live with us. You know, all of that was our reality back then, which made planting a garden in our backyard a lot more practical. Plus, we lived on land. Many of us now live in apartments. We live in, in, in structures that don't support us putting a garden in our front or backyard. Sometimes even the government will prevent you from planting a government. It becomes illegal in some states to plant a garden in your front or backyard because... Somebody has decided that this was a legitimate law, and we should not allow people to plant their and, and grow their own food. McDonald's is not new to chicken, so maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's, let's hit up on the... Uh, uh, the kidney issues and the high blood pressure, because, you know, basically you look at everybody eats the same kind of food. Why is it more prevalent in our community that we have kidney problems or, or hypertension problems? Well, well, I think um, there are several factors. One, our stress level is much higher. 
So I stress, it's more stressful to be a black man in America than it is to probably be anybody else. And, and that's just because of the, the dynamics of, of racism. That's the dynamics of, of this, this social structure that has been created where a black man represents a higher level of negatives based on what society says. Now, with regard to, and that's, that, of course, is just him, but the whole black family suffers under that same condition and reality. So you now are consuming the standard American diet, which is too much sugar, too much salt, too much oil, and too much artificials. You're consuming that on a daily basis. But in the black community, we consume much more of it. You know, in the black communities, we find all the bad-for-you food restaurants. And uh, we're consuming, that's primarily where we're getting our nourishment, which has zero nutrition. We call it empty calories. So we're consuming these bad-for-you foods, and we're, we're finding our conditions are worse in our community, coupled with the fact that we don't have access to, to the education and to the awareness of what natural healing and natural and healthy foods can do for us. Many of us are, are, are led to believe by the medical and pharmaceutical that the reason why we're sicker is because of what mama and daddy ate. So we believe that we're genetically predisposed to these illnesses, and that's not the case. And I, if I go all the way back and look at the source of this, I, we were talking about trusting the government. Well, you've got three major companies that control the world, and that's BlackRock, State Street, and uh, Vanguard. And they're the ones that are making the decisions on what foods are going to be made available to who. But also they're the ones that make all the money off the pharmaceutical sales, drug sales that take place as a result of people consuming a diet that is poor and unhealthy, they're making the money on the backside, riding them to the point where the people die as a result of the overconsumption of pharmaceutical drugs, which I, I ask the question oftentimes of my client base, can you give me the name of the one pharmaceutical drug that the body is naturally deficient of? And you can't give us one because it isn't. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Twenty nine after the top there with Doctor Baruch. Uh, Jerry's joining us from uh, Connecticut. He's on line three. Good morning, Jerry. You're on with Doctor Baruch. Good morning, Carl. It's Terry from Connecticut. Good morning, Doctor Baruch. Good morning, brother. Called, yes. Hey, hey, listen. I was so happy to hear what you just said. I have been telling people for the longest time that this food is designed as a weapon against us. And now I'm just hearing you say that, and I'm glad to hear that you you know you substantiate what I've been thinking all along. And the other thing I wanted to um, I'll mention to you, it is important that you ground yourself sometimes. You know, once or twice a year, walk out. I do it. I do it myself. I walk outside barefooted through my mother's lawn and all, and or ground myself at walking through dirt. Everything has to ground itself. It has to go back to nature. So I was also glad to hear you point out that as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, Again, so all of this is getting back to a lifestyle that we had, that we've yeah. gotten away from. And many of us think about it as being like ancient. And, you know, that's old school and that's, that's, that's prehistoric. We don't want to involved in, be involved in that lifestyle. When that was the lifestyle that sustained us. Go ahead, brother. Yes. No, that's basically, that's basically was my comment. That's all I, I had to say. Appreciate you taking my call. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Terry. You know, you know Doc, I got a tweet that says we were talking about, you know, growing our own food. But it says the minerals in the soil 
in America has been depleted. So if we even grow our own food, it still won't be as nutritious as what our, our grandparents, uh, when they did it, had or got. Right. You're absolutely right. And that's done by design. And that's why when many of us take a vacation to another country, again, we're, we're eating the food, the native food from that country. We notice that, wow, I don't need my blood pressure medication like I normally do. I don't need my, my diabetes medication like I typically would. So all of these change as a result of our, con- our consumption of food that is rich in nutrition, rich in minerals and vitamins. And again, it's the body's more inclined to recognize it. Our body can't even recognize much of what we're eating today, which is why you find many of us are are addicted or have to take the digestive aids, which is the number one category of over-the-counter drugs being sold across the world because we're consuming stuff that's not food. And we are, although it looks like it's food, it's packaged like it's food, it's presented as such, sold as such, it's not food. And we have to recognize how critical this is. We're making a decision to take that which is to consume that which is convenient, that which is inexpensive, that which is made locally available to us and packaged attractively, and that which everybody else is doing. We're making the decision to go down that road, even though we look around our community and realize we're not living as long, we're not healthy, and we're, again, going back to what I said earlier, we're, we're getting sick and dying. We're not getting old and dying. Hmm. And many of us start yeah. getting sick in our 30s, and it's just a decline from there. All right, we're coming up on a break real soon, but I got a tweet from a pastor in Central Florida, and he says his garden has cabbage, collards, and mustards, and he wants to get your reaction to that right now. <laughs> that's what he's growing. Yep, yep, absolutely. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we lived on. And we were, we were very comfortable consuming that diet on a daily basis. That was, that was what sustained us. And, uh, you know, we look up today, and how many of us even know what broccoli is or how to prepare broccoli? Our children don't know. You know, they don't, they don't know. They don't know Brussels sprouts. And, therefore, we don't have a relationship with this food. That food doesn't benefit us. Because all we know, we think, we think eating some, uh, some French fries with some ketchup is, is a vegetable. So we're getting our vegetables there. We're getting tomatoes, and we're getting potatoes. And that ought to be good for us because both of them come from vegetables. No. That is not good for it. That's not healthy eating. And we've got to break the cycle, which has a lot to do with our education. We need to go back and be re-educated about what food is. And the reason why our bodies are breaking down at such an early age is because of what we're consuming. All right. 26 away from the top there. We'll take another break. We'll check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, Doc, we got Thanksgiving about two weeks away. Can you tell us, uh, is there an alternative menu that we should be looking at? And also, if your restaurants are going to be open on Thanksgiving Day for folks who, who don't eat the traditional Thanksgiving meal and they're looking for something healthier, I'll let you respond to that after we look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. At, in, we'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, or information is power. Good morning again, family. Twin minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the holistic doctor, Dr. Brooke, who's also a restaurateur. We're talking about health problems and issues and the kind of food that we should eat. Before we go back to you, though, let me just uh, give you an update here from Pastor Anthony Williams out of Chicago, the activist preacher. Well, he's going to be in town. He's going to be the MLK Memorial at noon today. He's going to make a public announcement. It's a very important announcement. You know he's been pushing to get violence declared a public health uh, uh, health disease. Also, there's, it's election day, and we're watching uh, several 
several races, but one we got an eye on is, is in Richmond, Virginia. You know, we're trying to build a grand resort down in Richmond, Virginia. And if you are in Richmond or you got a family and friends in Richmond, they need a ride to the polls, tell them to call this number, 804-916-1914. Simple number, 804-916-1914. Take them to the polls in Richmond, Virginia. So we'll get that grand resort built for our folks. Later this morning, we're going to hear from a clinical and industrial psychologist, Dr. Edwin Nichols. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's especially he's, he's exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. He's going to talk about AI and what it means for the black community. And before that, though, we're going to talk with Sister Shoshana Shakur. She's going to preview the Malcolm X 60th anniversary in the Motor City. And later this week, you're going to hear from Neely Fuller Jr., another uh, uh, episode in his tome on racism, white supremacy. Also, Professor Griff will be with here from Public Enemy. Attorney Dwight Petty will also join us. He's going to break down all these charges that Donald Trump is facing and what's going on in that, that courtroom with Donald Trump in New York. And also, journalist uh, Brother Obi is going to give us an update on Asada Shakur. She's in exile in Cuba, as most of you know. So, if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Uh, Dr. Baruch, we the holidays and so many people indulge in these holidays coming up, uh, especially this one, Thanksgiving, in a, in a couple of weeks. Is there an alternative Thanksgiving meal? Because we know the tr- traditional meal is, and, and if, you, if you're like me, you go, if you've been to a Thanksgiving dinner, half of the stuff isn't eaten. It, you know, it's thrown away the next day. But what do we do? What, what are some of the alternatives we can have? That's the first question. The second question is, will your, if we can't get the kind of food that you're going to tell us about, will, you, will your restaurants be open? Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's a great question, but Carl, I wanted to bring something to our attention. You talked about uh, going to the polls and how important politics is. And, and, I, and I think it's important that we recognize many of the reasons why we're, we're only being exposed or made available to us is uh, unhealthy food or what's being made available to us is the unhealthy food is that politicians or people who have the say and they control what gets the decisions that are made on behalf of our community, they don't have our community's best interest at heart. So whereas many of us as revolutionaries, we thought the way to do this was not to get involved in politics because politics was a trick and it was evil and these people, you can't be trusted and so on and so forth. Well, the only way that that's going to change is people who are not evil and people who can be trusted and people who are going to do right by the people and look out for the best interest of them have to get into those positions of power and authority so that we can have a better chance of maintaining our health and wellness, but also having access to healthy food. So now on to the, the holiday meal. Absolutely. During this time of year, again, we, we're, we're consuming a lot of comfort foods. You know, this is when the sweet potato pies and the macaroni and cheese and, and the dressing and whatever else that we consume during this time of season. As a tradition, we, we consume more of these comfort foods. So what we've done uh, through uh, our restaurant and what we've seen, this evolution that has taken place in the United States of America and particularly, we're, we're seeing that many of those foods have been replaced with a healthier or natural alternative and uh, that way you get a chance to still have the experience you you know you can still eat food and call it the same thing but you know it's not as harmful to your health and it's not as harmful to the environment and it's not going to contribute to you needing to up your medication or find yourself in the grips of a pharmaceutical or medical industrial complex that makes money off of keeping you sick 
So across the board, whether it's the, the turkey that we consume or the ham that we consume or, you know, or, or whatever it is that we consume during this season, there is a healthier alternative. And I think that's our responsibility to upgrade. We should all upgrade. You know, if you're, if you're eating the standard black American diet, then which, which is not just the standard American diet, it's the one that's more grease, more fat, more sugar, more salt. You know, it's more unhealthy than the standard American diet. That if we're if we're being uh, if we're consuming at that level, then just step it up. You know, maybe this year through this season, you decide that you're going to cut back on all the pork, or maybe you're going to cut back on fried foods, or you're going to cut back on artificials. You're going to start reading labels. So that's what I would encourage us all to do. Rather than you know, many of us are making the decision. Wow, you mean you're telling me I shouldn't eat any of the things that I normally eat, which are bad for me? You know, now that I, now that I know that they're bad for me. Well, I know that's tough, especially during this time of the year when families are getting together and people are, are accustomed to a certain tradition. Let's just upgrade, you know, so that this year we take it up a notch and we, we remove something that we know is awful and is, it should not be consumed. And we, all of us, so if you're already consuming a reasonably healthy diet, well, now let's just take that up to another level. Let's remove some of those elements which we know we can remove because we're all informed. We know what's good for us. We know what's bad for us. Let's, let's remove yet another level of what is not good for the body and, and watch the results that you get. It's going to be a much ha- healthier and happier time with your family when you're eating a healthy diet and you don't have to worry about running grandma to the hospital again. You know, after she consumes too much macaroni and cheese or, or too, many, too much ham or too much salt or too much sugar, and the list goes on. So, again, through our restaurant, we offer an alternative meal every day. So our, that's the reason for the creation of our restaurant was to provide a viable food source to communities disserved and underserved. So we offer this healthier alternative meal every single day. And on Thanksgiving, we do something special. So we offer a, a special Thanksgiving meal. And uh, in fact, this year, the, the Vegetarian Society of D.C. is sponsoring that meal right there inside of the restaurant. So we have a special meal that we're doing for uh, over 300, 200 to 300 uh, families that are coming out to consume our, our, our food, our special meal food. And I think we also have to be mindful, Carl, even though there are restaurants that are coming up and they're, they're offering you, you know, a, a, let's say a vegan option on their menu, we have to be very circumspect about, you know, somebody that's offering you one thing but still serving you all the poison on the other side. And we have to be very careful so that we don't put ourselves in a situation where we're we're, uh, seduced or encouraged to consume that which is bad for you because we got this this so-called healthier food option at this restaurant. So some of us make the decision that, okay, well, I ate bad this morning, so I'm going to eat good this evening. Now, the body doesn't work like that. The body wants good all the time and expects good all the time. And when we consume bad for you food... The, the, that food impacts us negatively, whether we reverse it with, or whether we do something positive later. That was what the body expected all the time anyway. So, again, this is a great time to step up our diet. Don't wait till the New Year's resolution. Start eating it now. And, and yes, at our restaurants, we are offering the, uh, the Thanksgiving alternative meal. And throughout this season, we're offering catering. So if you want to eat it at your home, you, you're, you, know, you can give us a shout and we'll, we'll uh, cater your whole meal for you so that you don't have to do any other work. We'll do it all for you, and it can all be healthy. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. 
In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, 12 away from the top. The alternative to turkey, tofurkey. Tofu turkey, you know, tofurkey, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Is that an option? Is, is that something you deal with or, or do you just leave that, the, 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 the meat substitutes alone? Yeah, well, I, I think that is an option. Again, everybody's at a different point in the transition. So for those of us who this is their first year, sure, that's a great option as opposed to eating, you know, uh, turkey. You know, you can eat the tofurkey. And there, there are many of us that get in the kitchen and we know how to do something with gluten or maybe even some of us doing uh, work with, with other alternatives. They've got tofu. They've got tofu made from chickpeas. They've got, you know, the list goes on of all these alternative options that they have now where we can actually begin to season our food just like we did a turkey. We can season, uh, you know, another meat alternative and we get the same taste experience. Well, let me ask you this, Doc. Would it be rude if, if you we stopped by one of your restaurants on the way to, to Big Mama's house and get a plate and take it Happy so we'll have our food when when uh, when everybody, after they, you know, bless the food and all that, and we, we get our plate, which is different? Would that be considered rude? It, it used to be considered rude, but now it's considered progressive. So for those of us who are progressive and don't want the health conditions that everybody else has, you know, if you, if you pulled out everybody's pharmaceutical drugs at the, at the Thanksgiving table, you would know why we don't need to continue eating the way that we've been eating. So for those of us who've made the decision to not eat that way, it, it would be rude to your body. It would be an insult to the body to consume that, which you know is going to increase your blood pressure, blood sugar, damage your kidneys, reduce your blood flow. All of that is that's, that's what you need to be concerned about, the insult that we that we um, give to our bodies. It's, it's such an insult to consume that which isn't food. And our body responds appropriately by g- giving us an indication or that is making us sick, which is actually, it's, it's the wrong way of thinking about it. We're not actually getting sick. We're actually, it's our body's natural response to the poor uh, dietary choices that we're making. And so our body's trying to keep us alive. So it does these things in order to support health inside of the body. From from our perspective and how we've been taught, again, from the pharmaceutical and medical world, no, this is not keeping you alive. This is actually on your road to dying. Well, it isn't the disease that's on the that's got you on the road to the dying. It's the poor diet choice. So we should make better ch- dietary choices so that we can get better health results. We can live longer, have a better quality of life. Our grandmothers and great-grandmothers can be at the dinner table with us. But those things are going away because many of us are dying too young. Yeah, nine away from the top. What about dessert, uh, Doc? Do you have an alternative for the, you know, the standard desserts that are going to be shared uh, on Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, you've got your sweet potato pie. Everything that you can make as a dessert, that is traditional and typical in the United States of America, you can make it naturally. And you can make it without artificials. You can make it without dairy products and animal products. So absolutely, you, you can do that. So a favorite in our restaurant is sweet potato pie or bean pie. We do those things, and it's, uh, it's very, you know, it's, it goes over very well. People enjoy it because they get a chance to, they get that, uh, they, they can feed that sweet tooth 
but again, not be so injurious to your health. Right, the Muslims uh, make great bean pies as well. They've been selling them for for years, and 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 they're also nutritious. So, so if if you had some advice to the, to the folks who are coming going to a, a Big Mama's house with, with a plate from Doctor Baruch's restaurant, and of course Big Mama's going, well, hey, why do you bring that? What's what's up with this? And then the rest of the family's like, what's up with him? Or what what's going to be your response, Doc? Well, my my advice would be take three plates. Because you're not going to get a chance to eat all of your food if you only take one plate. Because everybody's going to want to taste. Oh, let me taste. It. Oh, that tastes good. Oh, let me have some more. Of that. Let me. Have... And you you need to take more than one plate, because right now it's not as difficult a conversation to get people to understand and embrace the notion of eating healthy. And we all know what eating healthy is. We just thought it it didn't taste good, and we thought it would give us the runs, and we thought it was expensive, and the list goes on of all the things that we thought. And now that we're rethinking and recognizing that this is really not just an alternative, but this is the way that we should live, you're going to find more people are embracing it. Less people are offended. Less people are going to have something negative to say. More people are going to be curious. Well, what does it taste like? Wow, that tastes just like the macaroni and cheese we, we eat over here. But now I don't have to worry about the dairy, and so I don't have to worry about my body itching, or I don't have to worry about my blood pressure going up, or I don't have to worry about the phlegm in my throat, or I don't have to worry about the headaches that I'm going to get. All of those things go away when you eat what the body is, is more designed to consume. And it's, it's not something that we, you know, scientific proof has already been, you know, we, we see it. We know it. It's understood. If you eat healthier, you get healthier results. So what better time to eat healthier than when all the family is together? So you'd be surprised how many people will come by the restaurant and grab up some meals and take them to their family and, and then come back and give us the report. They love the food. Yeah, uh, you know, because we, we know how to make food taste good, and we just haven't done it with, you know, these natural alternatives. So now people are getting exposed to it, and it's a lot easier to embrace. I mean, you could go to some of the worst fast food restaurants now, Carl, and you'll find that they're offering vegan alternatives. And I, again, I caution you, you know, you want to be careful. If somebody's offering you something and 90% and of the menu is bad, they give you 10% that's good, that's really not the institution you want to go to. You want to support the institutions that are here for the health and benefit of our community, that are, are hiring our community, and that are supporting the life and the quality of life, better quality of life in our community. All right, six away from the top of the hour. Got to take another quick break, check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, the drinking part. Uh, help us out with drinking. What should we drink? I know people say, I don't want to just drink water. I want to drink something uh, this holiday season. So if you can help us out with that and tell us about the your, your different restaurants, because you say they're going to be open for Thanksgiving on all holidays. Just tell us where they are and what time as well. Uh, folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Baruch, hit us up at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 14. 1450 WOL, where information is power. Keep and good morning again, family. Two minutes after the top of the hour with Dr. Baruch. Momentarily, we're going to talk about Malcolm X with his sister Shoshana and Professor Simmons out of Detroit. But let's wrap up with Dr. Baruch. Dr. Baruch, question, my question to you was the drinks that uh, we should can be consuming this if we are uh, participating in this Thanksgiving holiday, what are some alternative drinks that, uh, that are healthy for us? Well, you know, there's a big craze now for consuming naturally pressed juices. And uh, I think this is a great time to, to incorporate that into your life. 
you know, again, these are these are normally juices that you consume at the beginning of the year during the New Year's resolution. Well, let's start the resolution today. Let's start the res- uh, resolution now so that we can be healthy going through and starting the new year. And uh, so that's a great place to go. All of the beverages that we consume, we have to be careful of the sugar content because liquid sugar is, is uh, still high in calories. And it's still the body burns the calories one calorie at a time. So the calories tend to be more dense in the uh, sugary beverages that we're consuming. So we want to be careful with that, especially for those of us with high blood pressure and diabetes and, uh, and kidney issues. So there are definitely alternatives from the, you know, from the naturally fresh-pressed apple juice. And they have all types of mixtures. We offer them through our restaurant as well. And uh, they, they benefit the body in varying ways because of the vitamins and minerals that's found in the food. So it's not a matter of always consuming that which tastes good to the tongue, or that should not be the priority. The priority should be what is good for you. And then what you, when you find that which is good for you, then you add on top of that, okay, I want it to not only be good for me, but I want it to taste good. So, you know, again, if you don't know how to do it, we know how to do it. We can do it for you. And uh, we've been doing it for 28 years now. Brother Carl, and and we're excited about celebrating this 28th year. We just moved into our new location in Capitol Heights. It just opened up four or five days ago, in fact. And uh, so we're serving our healthy food in a brand new location. We had been in our other location for 23 years, and we're now in our new location, and we're going to serve more people, and we're going to be able to better serve you. We're looking forward to having more educational and entertainment events and activities at the restaurant so that we can support the, the space being a cultural hub, you know, for not only culture, but consciousness, elevation, and empowerment. So we're excited. All right. We have uh, and our location in Southeast is also open. We're, we're bringing our location in Tacoma Park back online this month. So all of that's happening, and we're excited about it. Again, we're talking about eLife Restaurant in the Washington, right. D.C. area. You can reach us at 301-324-6900. One more time with the number. 301-324-6900. And we're in relationship to the the, the, the former place in Cap Heights. Where are you? Is it walking distance? Is it in driving? Walking distance. It's about 500 feet. Oh, okay. Give us the address then. It's 9033 Central Avenue in Capitol Heights, Maryland. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're there. We're open uh, every day of the week from 10 o'clock until 9 o'clock, and uh, on Sundays we close at 7. And I'd, I'd like to extend to your audience uh, an, a benefit for hearing you on the show, listening to me, and, and possibly, you know, guiding their lives into a different direction, that we would offer a, a 50% discount on the consultations that we offer for our, our client base. And uh, we have some special guests already lined up to come, and uh, from the Minister of Wellness to Yaki Awakening. There are a number of people that you all can get in contact with this, and we can tell you when they're going to be there at the restaurant. It's going to be an exciting season. We look to make a whole lot of people well, and we look to stay focused and, and a purposeful benefit to the community. You know, we're intentional about that. This isn't by mistake. We didn't stumble on this. We've been doing this for 28 years before everybody else. And we're excited. Thanks, Dr. Thank Baruch. Yeah, and thank you for thank you. Do, all the good work you do and the food that you provide for us, uh, nutritious. He's, he's all provided food for a Power Talk conference as well and always sold out. So uh, uh, if you get a chance, you're in the DMV or in Baltimore, do drive on down to uh, eLife Restaurant and check out Dr. what Dr. Baruch is offering. But thank you again, Doc, and thank you for what you do. Thank you. Have a great day. 
I'm right you too. Six after the top of the hour. Sister Shoshana, good morning. Sister Shoshana there on line six. Good morning. Good morning, Sister Shoshana. Also, Professor Simmons is with you, I understand. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good to have you both on. We're going to talk about Malcolm X. So, uh, Sister Shoshana, tell us about this Malcolm's 60th anniversary celebration. All right, Ben. Thank you for having us on this morning. We appreciate you always, my brother. Um, so, something real exciting is happening in Detroit this Friday. Um, we, uh, the um, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and the Black Legacy Coalition. Um, we have gotten together and organized a celebration of the 60th year anniversary of the speech our beloved brother Malcolm made, Message to the Grassroots. And not only are we celebrating that uh, profound and phenomenal speech, but ready for this, Brother Nelson? We are celebrating it at the historic King Solomon Church where Brother Malcolm delivered the speech. And not only that, we have a few speakers joining us who were there when Malcolm delivered the speech. And one of those speakers is a guest on your show today, and that's Professor Charles Simmons. All right. Professor Simmons, uh, let me ask you this. When you when you were there, when Malcolm originally gave this speech. Did you know how profound it was? Tell us about how did that come about? Well, thank you for inviting me. I was uh, I was 21 years old at the time. I'd just gotten out of the uh, Air Force. I was a member of a youth organization, a black youth organization in Detroit called Uhuru. And uh, we were just overwhelmed by the messages and the the life of, of Minister Malcolm X at a time when when in 1963 we were talking about a, a de facto segregated northern uh, part of the United States. Now this particular conference was called the Northern Grassroots Leadership Conference, and we were looking at the differences between the South and the North at the time. Um, we were totally. Uh, dissatisfied with the progress or the lack of progress that was being made in the North. Um, and so we, we were ready for major social change, and we were looking for answers. And Malcolm uh, spoke very clearly and was a great inspiration. When you hear, heard Malcolm speak, you wanted to get up and go out and change the world. Um, and he spoke to the particular conditions that we were facing at the time, and he emphasized our need for thinking for ourselves, uh, for being self-reliant, uh, being that, that we had differences in, in our views and our needs than the American establishment, which was uh, making war on the black community. I mean, we had similar problems of police brutality. There was, I mean, total segregation in the school systems. Um, the housing, the transportation, public accommodations. Um, much of the much of the North was similar to these uh, what, what was existing in the South, although it wasn't as intense. But sometimes it was it was just as violent. And so we were demand we were in a framework of demanding social change at that time. We were not we were not willing to accept conditions as they were. 
And so Malcolm was a fresh, a breath of fresh air and gave us new directions to, to think about. Well, let me ask you this at 10 after the top there, Professor, because uh, you were fresh out of the military, you know, where you took an oath uh, to defend the country and all of that, to salute the flag. And then you transitioned to supporting Brother Malcolm. Well, <laughs> How did that happen? What was what was that transition like? It was it was it was the fact that I had heard Malcolm was one of the reasons why I left the military because I he had expressed opposition to the U.S. Pilot military as uh, foreign policy in uh, Vietnam and again at the Cuban Revolution and I was questioning all those things myself and I re, I expressed opposition to those uh, positions also when I uh, was in the military. So I was ready for some for some new directions, and um, I, I understood. To me, uh, I wasn't a Muslim, uh, but I but I respected what the Nation of Islam was doing. They were uh, doing major things in the communities, lifting people up, getting people who were in prison um, on on new roads to develop their lives in positive ways, uh, cleaning up ourselves, and starting our own businesses. Uh, and taking control of our lives. So Malcolm and the, and the Nation of Islam, I was a Baptist, but I I completely identified with the social programs of, of uh, what Malcolm was talking about. Did you guys, in, when, while you were in the military, we were in the service, did you talk about Brother Malcolm and the Nation of Islam? Was, was those, did you hold those, hold those discussions, yeah. or were you just uh, red, white, and blue all the way through? No, definitely. Uh, I went in the Air Force in '59 at the at and uh, I was in Mississippi for a year. So you know, we had uh, I went from Detroit to Mississippi and stayed for a year. And I was there during the time that the sit-ins started. So my my focus from the time that the sit-ins began was really to be a social activist. And I I could and um, although I was in uh, electronics, I was one of the few. African Americans at the time who was uh, integrated into the high tech uh, aspect of, of the military, and that was rare. But still, I I could uh, see the conditions that the masses of our people were facing, and it was just unacceptable. And so I had I felt that I had to take take action to do something to lift up our people. All right. Well, hold that thought right there. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, though, Sister Shoshana, I want, I want you to explain to us why you think Malcolm, what Malcolm said, what he did resonated so much with, with, with us as a people back then. And it's still relevant today. Folks, you want to join this conversation about Malcolm X? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information his power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest, Sister Shoshana, she's an activist in Detroit and also Professor, Professor Charles Simmons. We're t- discussing Malcolm X, eh? a big event in Detroit for Brother Malcolm this weekend. Sister Shoshana, before we left for the traffic and weather update, I was asking you, why do you think that Malcolm, his speeches resonate so much w- with our people? What was it about Brother Malcolm, you think? Okay, um, it was so much, but um, briefly, self-determination. Malcolm taught self-determination. He taught self-defense, and he taught nation-building. And although many young people and many older people, we all respected uh, most of us, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, but some of us preferred um, 
taking Malcolm's um, strategies and his methodologies of fighting for our liberation. And when Malcolm talks about the four little girls, Addie Mae Collins, Carol Robertson, Denise McNair, Cynthia Wesley, yes, I called their names, that we never forget how they were blown up in that church in Birmingham, Alabama. And Malcolm's um, uh, methods was we're not going to turn the other cheek. Um, and just briefly, an excerpt from Malcolm, um, just as the slave master of that day used time, the house Negro, to keep the field Negroes in check, the same old slave master today has Negroes who are nothing but modern Uncle Toms um, and century Uncle Toms to keep you and me in check, keep us under control, keep us passive and peaceful and nonviolent. That's Toms making you nonviolent. It's like when you go to the dentist and the man's going to take your tooth. You're going to fight him when he starts pulling. So he squirts some stuff in your jaw called Novocaine to make you think they're not doing anything to you. So you sit there and cause you got all of that Novocaine in your jaw. You suffer peacefully, blood running all down your jaw, and you don't know what's happening because someone has taught you to suffer peacefully. So just briefly, Brother Nelson, those are some of the reasons why I think um, Brother Malcolm's speeches resonated um, so widely with us. All right, 22 after the top there. Ozzy Davis called him our black shining prince, and he was. That was Malcolm X. Uh, uh, Benita wants to join the conversation. Benita's in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, on line one. Good morning, Benita. Hi, Benita. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Um, Do you think with the world powers and world government and world religion cooperating with each other. Now, I said world religion. I didn't say real religion. Uh, With them controlling your electricity, your water, your food, how you grow your food, um, and uh, smashing you in small small areas and really allowing your population to explode in a very small area while they take everything else in the world. What do you think Malcolm X would say about this and how how would that work for self-reliance? And then I wanted to throw this out there. I don't know if I should say it before or after you comment. Uh, I think world religion killed Malcolm X. I just think that they did not want the black community to work with the Arab community and have money to maybe come against America or build businesses. And I think the world religions that's fighting the Palestinians are the ones that did it, which would be Christianity and Israel. And that's my comment. All right. Thanks, Benita. Let's give uh, uh, Sister Shoshana a chance to respond. Also, uh, Professor Simmons can share in as well. Sister Shoshana, your thoughts? Well, uh, briefly, I'm going to defer most of uh, the response to um, Professor Simmons, but Benita, um, excellent, um, you know, points that you're making in in your question. And I think um, Brother Malcolm would, uh, you know, uh, just be um, devastated and would um, definitely be up in arms and want us to be up in arms on uh, the type of description that um, you, you, you know, uh, described to us. And 
um, you know, the Palestinians and, and what's going on over there uh, right now is inhumane. Uh, Brother Malcolm was one of the most um, a- um, active activists for human rights. He was for human rights, and, and everyone needs to remember that. So um, that's what I think. Um, uh, Brother Simmons, could you respond to Benita? Yes, uh, Sister Benita. Um, years later, after 63, in, in fact, uh, in the late 60s, I began to work for the Nation of Islam newspaper, Muhammad Speaks, and I was their international correspondent for some years. And I, I spent time in the Middle East. I, I covered uh, and, and lived among the Palestinians and, and all of the countries that are, are in the news right now. And I, and, uh, I know that the, uh, uh, the conditions that the Palestinians are living under uh, it really remind me of what the uh, United States did to the Native American population here. Uh, they stole land and uh, committed genocide against the people. Uh, the Native American people, men enslaved us. So we see a lot of uh, that, a uh, duplicate of that happening in the Middle East with the with the treatment of the Palestinians. Now, one of the one of the things that Malcolm pointed out uh, frequently was the the, uh, the misinformation that corporate media, mainstream media, uh, portrays and confuses us because we don't we not get enough information about Israel. There are 30 different political parties, or 40 in, in Israel, and we only, the United States, only focuses on the most right-wing, the most racist of the uh, the, uh, the parties in Israel. There are parties in Israel uh, and people who support working with the Palestinians in, in, in peaceful development, but they don't get any publicity. For instance, the uh, Jewish voice, Jewish uh, voices for peace. I mean, they, they brought out the their rabbis, the Orthodox Jews, they don't support what's going on, but we don't get that publicity here. We only get those who are, uh, support oppression, whether it's a suppression in the United States or, or globally. Malcolm, uh, one of the things I really liked about Malcolm was his call for us to develop an understanding about what's happening in the world and our relationship with other social justice movements and peace movements around the world. And so he was calling for peace and justice uh, all of his life. And as my sister said, human rights, he really uh, introduced us to the concept of human rights and taking our issues before the United Nations, which is what the Palestinians are doing, too, and which African-Americans have done. Uh, we, we have petitioned the United States under uh, Dr. Du Bois and Paul Robeson, uh, expressing the our claim of genocide against the United States. So we have a lot in common with other people around the world who are fighting for justice. And that's something that Malcolm brought to the fore. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
All right, just join us 28 minutes after the top of the hour. That was Professor Charles Simmons and also Sister Shoshana from Detroit. They're having a big event for Brother Malcolm this weekend in Detroit, the 60th anniversary of uh, Malcolm's speech, Message to the Grassroots. Professor Simmons, can you uh, give us a synopsis of, of that speech and why it still resonates to this day? Uh, was it 60 years ago? Yes, yes. Well, he, he told us to, uh, how to, we can build unity within the black community. Uh, he said, we're not um, discriminated against because we're Christians or Elks or members of the Masons or so on. We're all discriminated against because of our color. And how we build unity also by uniting with folks in the African diaspora and other people who are fighting for justice. Now, at that time, the African liberation movements were, were getting started. Well, I can't say they were getting started, but they were in a, in a, a strong mode of uh, success against colonialism. And so uh, we, Malcolm emphasized uh, the colonization concept. And uh, later, we were successful in the anti-apartheid movement um, as a result of that type of thinking. And uh, we, the, the, uh, it was a grassroots movement uh, also emphasized by uh, Dr. King against the war in Vietnam. And it was the people a people's movement that ended the war in Vietnam. It was a people's movement that ended apartheid in, in, in Southern Africa. So those um, efforts at unity, he mentioned the uh, Bandung Conference in, 19, in the 1950s where people of Africans, Asian, Latin, people of Latin America all came together to compare notes and to figure out how to struggle against uh, the, the colonization at that time. So right now we see a new form of this international movement, people coming together from the countries of the global south, and this BRICS, you know, the uh, Brazilians, Russians, South Africans, and the Indians coming together, and, and many more countries now, thinking independently about how they can trade and how can they develop their nations. And, and we are a part of this, this movement for, so, for worldwide social justice. Yeah, and Brother Malcolm, at 30 minutes out of the top of the hour, this is when he talked about the, the field Negro and the house Negro. Can you get into that for us? Yes, I think Prof this was really um, a, a class analysis. He didn't use the term terminology uh, classes, uh, which which is used in the socialist uh, vocabulary, but he showed the the distinction between the people who were the elite within the slave society, Africans who were who lived in the house, who had a better lifestyle, and therefore had more loyalty to the slave owner uh, and identified with the slave owner of, of needs. Whereas, on the other hand, the masses of people, the masses of black folks, who he called the field Negroes, that's what they were, we were called at the time, we were totally abused, whipped, you know, overworked day and night, raped, just totally um horribly treated and and we see that and so we had the masses had uh, a revolutionary uh, attitude we wanted to make fundamental changes in the in that system either to escape or to overthrow the slave system where we were and so he projected those conditions into the present of saying that the black elite today some of them still identify with the slave owners um, and we see we've got a lot more Black people who are upwardly mobile and who are doing very well, 
Some of them identify only with themselves, super individualistic. And fortunately, some of them identify with the masses and, and are, are trying to uplift all of us. But the, that, the class distinction is very important. It's a universal phenomenon. It wasn't just uh, among black people. But uh, where you have the elites, even in the global south, they live very well, but they often do not lift a finger to help the little people. And so this was, uh, it was very important to learn to see that lesson as something that would, could be expected to continue to this day and, and in the future. So we have to be very careful about selecting our leaders. We don't just select leaders because they're a, a celebrity or an athlete. We have to select leaders who have, who have expressed and demonstrated uh, their support for the people over, over a period of time and their honesty and, uh, and selflessness. So those were very important lessons for us. All right, folks, you just joined us. Uh, I guess you just heard uh, Professor Charles uh, Simmons and also Sister Shishkana is with us from Detroit. They're having a big event to commemorate uh, Malcolm's speech, message to the grassroots. And as the professor mentioned, though, he talked about voting. And he, he you know, basically said that we should vote, but we should be cautious when we vote judiciously. We figure out who we're voting for, know who we're voting for. That's what's going to take place at uh, Malcolm's address in message to the grassroots. And this is why they're having this event in Detroit. We've got to take a short break, though. We've got to get caught up on the news traffic and weather in different cities. We've got some folks want to talk to Sister Shoshana and also Professor Simmons. We'll take their calls in four minutes right now at 26 away from the top of the hour right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Thank you, again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, discussing Brother Malcolm X today with Sister Shoshana and Professor Charles Simmons out of Detroit. They're going to have a big event this uh, this this week, later this week, for Brother uh, Malcolm. They're going to, uh, you know, the anniversary's message to the grassroots, which he delivered in Detroit. And and that speech, people still talking about him when he talked about the field Negro and, and the house Negro, when he talk, called for unity among black folks. You know, we need to hear that unity call some more today. Before we go back, then, let me remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with clinical and industrial psychologist, Dr. Edwin Nichols. You know, he works on, you know, he works on all aspects of cultural differences, the philosophical difference of cultural differences. And later this week, you're going to hear from Neely Fuller Jr. He's going to give us another episode of his tome on racism, white supremacy. You know what he says if you don't understand how that works. You know, everything it entails and everything else you think you understand only serves to confuse you. Also, Professor Griff from Public Enemy will be here. And attorney uh, Dwight, A. Dwight Petty, uh, criminal defense attorney, is going to break down those charges and the antics going on in Donald Trump's uh, trial in New York City. And also, journalist brother Obi will be here to give us an update on Asada Shakur. As you know, Sister Asada is in exile in Cuba. Uh, so make sure your radio is locked in tight right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Also, i got to remind you that... Uh, 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 from Chicago, Pastor Anthony Williams, who had pastor of Chicago, he's, he's going to be in town this morning. At noon o'clock, he's going. At noon o'clock, at noon, he's going to have uh, a news conference at the MLK Memorial in D.C. Talk about he's pushing for violence to become a public health disease, and he's, he's, there's something special going to be at that news conference. So you've got time, and you're in the D.M.V. Roll over to the the, the King Memorial uh, at noon, and he'll be there. Also, it's election day, of course, and there's elections are taking place. And one we've got an eye on is in Richmond, Virginia. 
Virginia. Uh, company's trying to build a grand resort there, and a lot of opposition from some of the folks down there. But uh, if, if you're in Richmond or you got you know people in Richmond and they need a ride to the polls, here's the number to call, 804, that's the error code, 916-1914. Again, that's 804-916-1914. Let's get, build that grand resort so we can get some jobs for our folks in Richmond, Virginia. Anyway, let's go to uh, Brother Sekou's joining the conversation. He's calling from Baltimore. He's on line one. Brother Sekou, good morning. You're on with Sister Shoshana and Professor Simmons. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question and I have a, a follow-up. Who murdered Malcolm X and why did they do it? Anybody know the answer to that? The definitive answer? Um, I don't have the definitive answer. I probably know I've heard what the brother probably heard, Brother Sheku, is that um, it was um possibility of COINTELPRO operative um, police, um, law enforcement, and it's possible that some brothers from the nation of Islam uh, may have uh, been a part of it. Um, we all know that they convicted innocent brothers uh, incarcerated and imprisoned them, and uh, um, you know either you, um, Brother Nelson, or Professor Simmons can correct me. I believe those brothers. Uh, one brother was fortunate enough to get out after um, decades, and I think the other brother died before he was able to get his name um, cleared and to be exonerated. But um, brother Seiko, um I don't know who killed Malcolm X, but whoever did it, uh, it they they were sinister. All right, uh, you follow up, brother Seiko. Yeah, I have a follow-up. When I was a prisoner in the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, I came in contact with some New York State prisoners who were doing federal time. They said one of the four or five individuals that was convicted of that, he admitted it. They confessed to it. Mm -hmm. They were members of the Nation of Islam. There's a lot of erroneous information circulating about that incident. But based on my experience, my understanding, I just turned 74 in October. Members of the Nation of Islam murdered Malcolm X at the instigation of Louis Farrakhan, Elijah Muhammad, and the leadership of the Nation of Islam. Y'all have a nice day. All right, thank okay. you, Sir. And, and, and this, let me jump in here for a second, uh, uh, Sister Sean, because uh, what you mentioned too about COINTELPRO. So we, we really don't say that, that you know, you, you have to differentiate on who pulled the trigger and who was behind it. A lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of COINTELPRO was rife back then. And a lot of people, they used a lot of people, they played our leaders against each other, not just with, with the nation, but also with the Black Panthers and the US organization. So we can never rule out. And if you saw the, the movie, The Godfather, Brother Sekou, get a chance to get a, a binge watch of The Godfather of Harlem. And they deal with that. And they bring up the fact and to the point that, uh, it was mostly COINTELPRO, even though it, it implicated some of the members who we, we don't know if they were fully members, bona fide members of the nation, or they were uh, fraud members of the nation. So we, we, it's, it's not just as cut and dry as, as people, some people will talk about. I know, Sister Sean, you want to add something on that? Yeah, just one thing to follow up with what you were saying is that um, can't two things be possible at, uh, simultaneously? Um, they could have been uh, brothers um, involved in the nation as well as involved in COINTELPRO. That, that's all. 
I, I have All some right. ideas about that. Go ahead, Professor. Okay. Sure. Uh, I think when, we, when we're talking about political assassination uh, by um, powerful institutions that do not want certain ideas disseminated, uh, it's, we have to pay attention to who benefits from the killing, not uh, so much who pulled the trigger in these situations. Because as as was pointed out, the, the uh, uh, COINTELPRO, counterintelligence program of the uh, FBI and the CIA, they were keeping uh, files on grassroots leaders and activists all over the country. I mean, they had files on nuns and teachers and professors and um, any t- any people who signed a petition or attended a, a meeting. And so they spent millions and millions of dollars on conducting surveillance and new, they called it neutralizing uh, activists all over the country, and not only in the United States, but in Africa and Asia. You know, it was a global thing, and, and they, they, it hasn't changed. They're still doing that. Uh, so we need to be, uh, I think, more focused on who benefits from this and who wanted, what powerful entities wanted Malcolm dead. And I, 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 Malcolm had, had said he, he, he believed there was an international uh, entity who was following him around uh, globally. And uh, we have to think, who has the ability to uh, finance uh, global surveillance? You know, I mean, the United States government is, is, uh, has, been, has even admitted the assassination uh, and overthrowing governments abroad. So I think it's more important to focus on who uh, wanted Malcolm dead. Now, I do not believe that... Um, the, the leadership in the nation wanted Malcolm dead. I mean, I think the Elijah Muhammad wanted to punish him temporarily, but I don't think I don't think Elijah Muhammad wanted Malcolm dead. I think he was he loved Malcolm. So, but there's people, but the the CIA, the FBI, they infiltrate organizations. Any organizations is fighting for justice. That's their job to go and infiltrate it. So we need to expect that they're going to be doing their job, and we need to do our job. We need to be concerned about security and educating our people so that when one leader falls, we have another. We have 10 more or 100 more to take their plates. So I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't spend that much time thinking about who pulled the trigger. This is a, right. a, a universalist, a global movement against people who are fighting for justice. Right. We've got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you guys, but let me just add this before I take another call. They, they were uh, surveilling uh, Chairman Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton, Senior, when he was eight years old, <laughs> COINTELPRO had a file on him. So, okay, so the, so you know what happened with that. And if you saw Judas and the Messiah, you know exactly what happened. So for those of you who think, underestimate the, the COINTELPRO, and the professor is right, it's, it's still going on today. The, the agents are still working with us. But anyway, let's move on because i got some folks who want to touch you guys. At 11 away from the top of the hour, let's go to your city, Detroit. Quasi's online too. Good morning, Quasi. Good morning, good morning. Uh, great show. Uh, thanks for accepting the call. Uh, Good morning. Shout out to uh, Sister Shushana and Baba Charles. Good morning, uh, Crazy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to uh, add to a comment that uh, Baba Charles was referring to in terms of the class struggle. In Malcolm's uh, message to the grassroots speech, uh, one of the things that made that speech very important is 
it's lasting value in terms of how we understand our struggle. We living in a time when people, uh, 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 entities, institutions are giving away money, hand over fist, grants, got these little economic uh, incubators all over the place. And this is not the first time in history it has happened. Malcolm talked about in that message to the grassroots uh, after talking about the field Negro and the house Negro. He also pointed out that the government had gave $1.5 million or had committed that much to the big six, uh, Dr. King, SELC, CORE, mm-hmm. uh, NAACP, and other civil rights organizations at that time. They gave them $800,000 before the march, almost like a hitman, and uh, the other 700000 after the march. And we don't often look at or tra- uh, tra- track the money, and it's very important because that speech is relevant, not because he was just eloquent but because it has value to us trying to understand our struggle. And like the brother Siku question about the assassination of Malcolm X, Malcolm talked about in that same speech why it's important that we uh, try to unify. He emphasized unity in that speech and not being divided. And that assassination sparked a longstanding division in our community that we must figure out how to overcome because we have a lot of contradictions in our struggle, but we also, uh, like Malcolm emphasized, we have more in common than we have different, and we must learn how to struggle together because our common enemy is still our common enemy. Mm-hmm. Amen. That, uh, Thank you, Brother Kwesi. Thank you. All right. And, and uh, Professor or Sister Shoshana, you want to respond to anything he said? Yeah, he's right on. And I just want to say, Crazy will be joining us on Friday. Um, he's moderating the um, program. All right. Eight away from the top. Victor's also in Detroit on line three. Victor, good morning. You're on with Sister Shoshana and Professor Simmons. Uh, Dumbo to you all. Um, Dumbo. Always, always seeing you. And it's just remarkable that we just buried another ancestor and and the leadership. And my question is just that. We 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 tend to bury the people or bury the man to continue to plan as Kwame Kenyatta used to say. So who's the next up? How do we move on? Um, because there's going to be death. Uh, we, we looked at the um, document, documentary called uh, um, Amela, uh, Revolution and Four-Part Harmony. All that civil right and apartheid, they faced death of their leadership every day and they were losing them but they never gave up heart it seems like we here in 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 this part of the globe when we lose our leadership we lose our heart so mm. where do we go how do we maintain how do we how do we learn from the assassinations of the other or the co-opting of our leadership and build a stronger leadership so just like as a comment was said earlier uh if if they cut off one we have 10 more to take their place. And I think if we look back in retrospect, that our young people are also looking for that. I mean, I remember coming up and I was in the 20s and because I'm 70 now. So I remember coming up to that time when, you know, we had vocal, honest, true, focused leadership uh, mm-hmm. guiding us. 
giving right. us wisdom. And, and, and Victor, we got, we're going to let you go because we've got to take a break. And I'll, I'll give uh, Sister Shoshana and Professor Simmons a chance to respond to what you said. We're going to recover from the death of leadership. When, when they take one of us out, you know, it's, it's the whole movement seems to die. We'll let them respond to that. But we got to okay. check the traffic and weather in our different cities for our communities this morning. We'll be back in four minutes, uh, six away from the top of the hour, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the album, Michelle, we're speaking with Dr. Edwin Nichols. He's a clinical and industrial psychologist. But right now, let's wrap up with Sister Shoshana and also Professor Sims about this weekend. They're having an event for Malcolm X, the message to the grassroots, the anniversary of his speech. So let me go to Professor Simmons. Uh, uh, Professor Simmons, can you respond to uh, Victor's last call about the fact that one of our leaders are assassinated, that there's a vacuum left? Can you address that for us? I think what we need to do, and we've always needed this, is to be uh, take serious the education of the people in our organizations and in the community. Um, Malcolm X pointed out that there's a need to study history and to use history as a method of analyzing the current problems. And uh, so we need to teach our people continuously so that they will be able to take the shoes of any leaders who, who have to move on. People are going to die, they get sick, and, and they get killed or been put in prison. So we need to always be focused on how, what, can we, what can we learn about the struggles around the world for social justice, for liberation. Malcolm talked about the revolutions all over the world, the Algerian Revolution, the Cuban Revolution. Um, the, the Russian Revolution, American Revolution. We study other organizations that have had to do similar things as we do, and we learn new lessons and new way of looking at uh, our condition and looking at the world. So though it's a constant uh, need to teach, because we're not going to learn this in our school systems. This is something we have to teach in our own communities and in our homes. And as, and it was in King Solomon. It was taught in the church. Also, my grandmother used to at that time. He called it Negro history. So, it, the education of people in the struggle is a continuous need, and we have to build organizations that do not rely on having a singular person in the leadership. We need to have more horizontal type of organizations so that uh, the leadership is spread out. And as I said, we have to have. 10 or 100 people ready to take over from the next person who's, who's in the leadership. All right. Well said. Sister Shoshana, give us an update on what's going on in, down in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. This is a statement or uh, update is from Rakia Lumumba, um, the director of the People's Advocate Institute and also um, sister of the mayor of uh, Jackson, Mississippi, um, and my niece. Um, and it's, she says, we are still in a water crisis. The EPA appointment third party manager has taken control of the people's $800 million and has locked the city government and its residents out of the process for a rebuild. The People's Advocacy Institute and Poor People's Campaign have petitioned 
the federal court to intervene to require community oversight, distribution of bottled waters and filters, as well as real-time notification about boil water notices and the safety of our water coming out of the pipes. The third-party administrator is a separate entity led by Ted Hennepin under the private business known as Jackson Water. He has unchecked authority to use the federal funds the city and its residents protested for without any obligation to include residents or the city in the process. And then lastly, both the EPA and the city have consented to our intervener petition. The third party administrator, Ted Hennepin, and the court have yet to respond. Ted Hennepin is pushing a narrative that we are special interest groups in an attempt to delegitimize our efforts for clean, affordable water and community oversight. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's just a scandal of what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi uh, family. And basically, it, it's all, they, they, it, you know, it's, it's, they just want to take the city back. That's all. You know, it's a black-run mm-hmm. city and they, uh, the capital of the state, and they want to take it over. But listen, we've got to run. Before we go, though, Sister Shoshana, give us the, tell, give us the details of the, this weekend's um, message of the grassroots, Malcolm, the 60th anniversary. How can folks who want to get involved, how can they, can they watch it? Is it going to be Zoomed? It's going to be online? Or, or, or is it going to be taped? Okay, well, people in Detroit can go right to the King Historic um, Solomon Solomon, uh, Church. Just go right there on 14th Street, um, 6100 from 6 to 9, 6 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock on Friday, November the 10th. And there's an African marketplace starting at 5. Everyone else, I'm going to call Brother Nelson and give him um, a Zoom link. We're working on, um, you know, putting it on Zoom so we can share it with people across the country there in Baltimore, D.C., and everywhere. And um, we love to have you. Thank you. Uh, Professor Simmons, thank you for your analysis of what's uh, Malcolm's speech, that great speech, message to the black man. Thank you for sharing that, that information with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, all right. Thank you, Professor Smith. Thank you, Sister Shoshana. And, and good luck right, with the message to the, the black man. Free the yeah. land, of course. Seven minutes after the top of the hour. Dr. Edwin Nichols, good morning. Welcome back to the program. <coughs> good morning. How are you? We're excellent, Dr. Nichols. And let me just tell the family that Dr. Nichols, so you've heard him before. He's a clinical industrial psychologist. He's known for exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. Doc, Dr. Nichols, we want to talk about AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, should we, as a community, be concerned about the, the, the new, this emerging technologies? Yes, we should. <clears throat> we don't want to fear it. We want to understand it. That's the issue. Um, Artificial intelligence is here, is not going away, and um, it's like when the automobile started, people were still trying to hold on to horses and wagons, but the industry went on without them, not making the change, or not understanding how to accommodate the newness. So, as African Americans, the job market is shrinking and people are becoming obsolete 
just like when we had automation, there were some people that still have a job and others that are without a job. So in order for us to be able to be a part of this new era of artificial intelligence, then we need to be very clear about how it functions, what its parts are, and how it produces a product. That's the technology of it. If we don't understand that, then we become victimized by it. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Do you think there's going to be a deliberate plan to keep us in the dark, though, so that we don't really don't understand how it works, or they're just going to share information on a limited basis for, for us, and they keep most of the information like they do with these new technologies to themselves? How do you see that? Well, um, if you go online, you will hear um, people from primarily with an Indian accent from East India, and they describe in great detail how it works. Um, it's very important that people, the information is available. But now here, these are the, these are the side effects. When you have a public school system that does not prepare children to understand anything beside basic, basic arithmetic, that is addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and they never start with algebra or understand it, then there's no way possible that they will have the math skills necessary to understand artificial intelligence and to be able to be a part of its production. That's the main thing. So your previous callers, as I was listening, talked about we can't always rely on the system to do what we want, what is in our best interest, because the system is not designed to help us be successful. So people have to take the initiative to do it within their own communities. Um, like the previous well, let me jump in here, Dr. Nichols, because you said earlier that the, the educational system basically is failing us. With this, the, the, and we look at the, you look at the, the uh, records, and you'll see a lot of the schools in the inner cities, not just in, in Baltimore, Washington, D.C., the students are failing. Is this being done deliberately to dumb us down, or is it, is it just or sort of organic? That, that's the way it is. No, it's for money. Remember, when I talk about axiology, I talk about the highest value in European systems is the object. 
and object is 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 what is the highest value for the European society, which is generally money and their survival. The largest pile of money in the federal government that has not been siphoned off by um, private enterprise is the Department of Education. That's why you now have a lot of laws being passed to enable private schools to also share in the pile of money that's dedicated to public schools. You had a movement to have uh, charter schools. So you have a pile of money for the public schools, and a, a part of it has to go, a big chunk of it, to private schools, charter schools. But more importantly, those are just small things to pe- make people argue among themselves, the charter school, the public school, the charter school. The biggest chunk of money is going to these educational institutes that design curricula and say that we are going to bring your children into what is necessary. And they have large contracts in many cities to do uh, what they allege to be able to do, but they don't, they don't produce it. So it's money. It's money. It's all about the money. Follow the money. Uh, hold that thought right there, Dr. Nichols. We've got to take a short break and check the traffic and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, uh, explain to us, well, what can we do? Because we know the Republicans are saying that one of the first areas they want to cut, it, apart from the Justice Department, is the Education Department as well. So what does that mean for us? Because uh, uh, now we're in a global competition with, with uh, students from all over the world. Our students are being left behind. And what can we do? i got a bunch of questions for you. Folks, if you've got questions for Dr. Nichols, reach out to us at 800 800- 450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest. He's a, a clinical and industrial psychologist, Dr. Edwin Nichols. You've heard him here before. Usually he's exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. Well, today we're talking about artificial intelligence, AI, and they're rolling it out and, and they're doing it, you know, piecemeal because right now it's, it's more advanced than what we have. But the problem is our folks are not getting the information, especially when we look at our schools. Our schools are not getting it. Schools are failing. And the question I'm asking, Dr. Nichols, is by action or by design. So, Dr. Nichols, your thoughts on that? Well, you can say it's um, – you can, you can ask the question, is it by design or is it just by chance? I live in Washington, D.C., and for many years, when you crossed the river, the schools were dilapidated, falling apart, and nobody seemed to care. The curriculum, the materials weren't always there. They weren't of the top quality. And that was in the city just across the river. It used to be that in the District of Columbia, you could send a child from one section of the city to another where you had a better high school. And now they say you must stay within your school boundaries. You cannot transfer to a better school. So there's some attempt now to upgrade the school. 
But we have two groups of people in a classroom. The law says that you have to be in school until you're 16 or 18. I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's 18. And you have students who have failed all the way through, and all they're doing is waiting to get out. And they can get as, as soon as they can get out of school, they get out, they leave. But in the meantime, they have to sit in classrooms where you have other students who want to learn but cannot learn because of the disruption, the distraction. Uh, you'll see kids sitting in a high school classroom uh, supposed to be teaching algebra, and they're sitting looking at their cell phone, and the teachers can't teach them. So there's some, some generational things here that would not have been tolerated in other, in earlier generations, but you have the, dis the disrespect for teachers. And teachers simply say, well, I'm not going to get beaten up. <clears throat> you have one teacher who um, was literally beaten up because she was trying to take a cell phone from a 12-year-old girl so she would stop using the cell phone and listen to the lecture. Now, if the teacher had hit the child, then the teacher would be in trouble. So, you see, we have to begin to think in terms of children need to be, they need to learn respect and discipline in order to get the information. That's one part of it. But why are they disrespectful <clears throat> in 15, 16 years of age? It's because at the very formative years, they were not, in the first, second, and third grade, they were not given the information that they needed in a way in which they could learn it. That's why when I talk about the philosophical aspects of cultural difference, I tell you that there are different ways of knowing something. And if you teach only in one model, then the, then the poor child does not, doesn't grasp the way that is what is being taught. I'll give you an example. Our children are holistic thinkers, and they use something that is called, to answer a question, critical path analysis. They are taught parts to the whole. They're near sequential. Now, there's a conflict between those two. So we're going to put a little boy, eight years of age, third grade, Leroy. The teacher, 90% of the time, in most places, is white woman in the, uh, younger than 30. So that's saying that most of these teachers are inexperienced as teachers. When she goes into the classroom, she follows the European norm for education. I have the information. I'm going to dispense it to you. So today is Monday. We will do part A. Tuesday, part B. Wednesday, part C. Thursday, part D. On Friday, a test. In each of those parts, there are exercises. So that means there are things that you count and measure. So the teacher on Monday gives part A, part B on Tuesday, part C on Wednesday, 
And Leroy says, I don't understand. Now, because Leroy is a holistic thinker, when he receives part A, in his mind, it's not a part. It's a whole. And he's trying to examine that as a whole and terribly confused because he is thinking of it as a whole. In other words, if the teacher had given the A, B, C, D as a whole, he would have grasped it. But as she breaks it down into all these little parts, and he's not understanding that so that, that plus A plus B plus C plus D plus is what the whole is. Now, what happens is he fails. About two-thirds of the way into the semester, he starts to getting all of the answers correct. That's because he finally understood that each of these are simply parts. They are not holes in and of themselves. And being of average intelligence, better, he starts solving the problems. Now, how is he solving the problem? At the end of the textbook, the teacher's manual, the teacher is taught that there are seven steps to solving this problem. And you'll hear people saying, show your work. That means you have to show steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And if you don't have those seven down, the teacher has no way to assess or evaluate whether you did it correctly or not. But with critical path analysis, which Leroy does, he doesn't have to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He does one, four, seven. And he has, with critical path analysis, analyzed the problem. The teacher does not understand critical path analysis. And at three years of, and eight years of age in the third grade, Leroy can't tell you I'm using critical path analysis. The teacher then challenges him and his ethics. Tell us how you got the answer. I don't know. I just did it. Well, tell us. At eight years of age, third grade, he can't say, I did critical path analysis. He just said, I did it. Now, what happens is we go down back to our value system. In our value system, is the highest value, our axiology is in the relationship. Now, what is going to happen between the relationship of this teacher and Leroy? The teacher has him stand in front of the whole class, and she says, tell the class how you did it. He says, I just did it. No, no, no. If you got the right answer, you've been getting wrong answers all semester. Now, all of a sudden, you get the right answer. Class, what is he doing? Everybody says, cheating. It's a loud course. Now, what this does to him is he feels he's being disrespected in the classroom, and he acts out. And the acting out, the teacher at the end of the year gets even with him because she places him in special ed. If you go to the local jail and give a psychological assessment and evaluation of the prisoners that were, quote-unquote, in special ed, you'll find that many of them should not have ever been there. 
they were just in this situation where they were forced to try to explain something that they couldn't explain because they didn't have the language to understand it. Now, there are many times that even when people don't understand and you explain it to them, they still insist that I want to see the work. Either you do it the way I'm teaching you or I won't give you the credit for it. Let me give you an example. Right here in the Washington area, uh, Bethesda Chevy Chase, they had um, a school zone that extended to the east side of Rock Creek Park. That meant that a lot of people that lived around 16th and East West Highway in these large apartment buildings began with gentrification change from white to black and other ethnic groups, Hispanics and so on. So their children are now going across the park to Bethesda Chevy Chase High School. They have several calculus classes there. My question to you is how many calculus classes do you have in the majority of the D.C. public schools? That's a question to be answered. Well, the man who taught this class, they have, they have women, but they have fewer young women doing calculus. So in this situation, you have an African young woman in the class doing calculus and getting the top grade. Now, these are other issues that we have to think of. This is cognitive dissonance for this white male teacher. First of all, most of his classes are all male in calculus. One or two women, yes. But now he was an African woman. What is his whole conceptualization, his socialization about Africans and the capacity to be educated? Impossible. Yet, she's getting the highest scores in the class. So he asks her how she does something. And she puts it down there. He doesn't understand how she did it. Then he asks her, well, uh, how, you know, how do you, who's helping you? He says, my father. So he says, well, what about your father? He says, my father taught calculus in Dakar. Now, in that man's thought, what black man is qualified to teach calculus? These are the things that we don't know about our own history. We have geniuses, not just, you know, back a thousand years ago. I'm talking about right now with all of the technology, all of the information that we have. You have blacks who are right in the middle of that as inventors and discoverers, and we know nothing about. And that's by design. They will tell you a name, but they won't tell you the race unless somebody's killed somebody, shot somebody. Then that's the first thing that you hear. Now let's go back to this young African woman. Well, he said uh, hold that thought right there, Doc, because we're going to take a short break. I'm enjoying this conversation going on because you're, you're explaining us how the school system works, especially uh, Brother Leroy out there who's listening. I hope some teachers are listening, too, can understand why some of our, our children are not learning in the way they think they should learn. At 26 away from the top of the hour, we got to get caught up on the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation and speak to Dr. Nichols, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls 
in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And good morning, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Edwin Nichols. As I mentioned before, you've heard him before. Dr. Nichols is a clinical industrial psychologist. He's usually exploring the uh, uh, philosophical aspects of cultural differences. And today we're talking about artificial intelligence, AI. It's, it's, or, it's here. And we're trying to figure out why some of our, our children have a... a uh, have problems in grasping the, this, the, these concepts. And part of it is basically the educational system. And this is where uh, Dr. Nicholas is breaking it down for us. But before we go back to him, just remind you, uh, Pastor Anthony Williams is in town. He's going to be over at the uh, MLK Memorial in, uh, at noon. Uh, he's always preaching about violence, uh, public health uh, uh, diseases. And he has a big announcement to make. So if you've got time, go run over there. If you're in the DMV to the MLK uh, Memorial and, and see uh, 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 Pastor Williams. Also, it's election day you know, all across the country and one uh, election we're watching is down in Richmond, Virginia. You know, Radio One's trying to get this grand resort. And if you know people in Richmond or you're in Richmond and, and you need a ride to the polls, reach out to us at 804-916-1914. Again, that phone number is 804-916-1914. And the folks are trying to deny us. They, they do it all. You know, they want everything for themselves. Dr. Anderson says they don't want us to get anything. So we're trying to get a piece of the action here. So if you could do that, we would appreciate also, coming up uh, uh, later this week, you're going to hear from Neely Fuller Jr. He's going to get, tell us again about his tome on racism and white supremacy. Also, Professor Griff from Public Enemy will be here. Attorney Dwight Pettit's going to join us as well and tell us what's going on with, with these trials with Donald Trump uh, ongoing. And Trump's going to go back on the stand today. Also, journalist uh, Brother Obi is going to share some information on Asada Shakur. As you know, she's exiled in Cuba. So make sure the radio's locked right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95. 5.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Okay, Dr. Nichols, I'll let you finish up giving your examples again. Okay, we were talking about the the African, the young African uh, woman who was at Bethesda um, Chevy Chase and she was getting A's in, in uh, calculus and the man couldn't under, the teacher couldn't understand it. And uh, she said her father and he said he taught calculus in Africa. Well, if you are European thinking, uh, that's cognitive dissonance for you. So uh, the father came over and he demonstrated how the problem solving, this man still didn't understand it. Uh, It was clear when the father was talking about it, but he still didn't understand the methodology because he was entrenched in his own way of knowing. After that, the classroom teacher said, if you do not follow, the steps that I have given you so I can check your work in spite of having the correct answer, I will fail you. Now, let's go back to Leroy. 
steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's what the man is asking to produce. Leroy does one, four, and seven. So for Leroy, where is step two? Step two is for Leroy four, because two and three in the old system don't exist. So you're trying to force Leroy to talk about something that in his mind does not exist because he used critical path analysis. Now, that's one of the biggest issues that we have in school. There'll be some people out there that will say, aha, now I know what happened to me. But more importantly, we have to be responsible for our own children's education. If we do not take the responsibility ourselves, now, why is it in a city that you have one high school that everybody wants to send their children to? It's because that community is so focused on making sure that the public school is excellent, that they don't have to send their children to private school. They make sure that that public school is top. And the way they do that is they have a, 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 fam, a parent-teacher association. They have constant contact with the, with the representatives from their community. And they push and insist that the proper money goes to their schools in terms of tax and so forth. And that's the push. But now, what happens if you live in an area where people rent substandard apartments? The man who is running that whole situation that owns the property doesn't want to invest too much into the property because he has to pay higher taxes. So what you have is you have, since we are on a, a, a millage base for most cities in terms of how you pay for school education, the very system itself is discriminatory. You pay higher millage in the suburbs or in certain sections of the city than you do in other sections. And when they distribute the funds, that's the way you do it. Now, let's look at another thing. These are built-in systems that create problems. If you go to a school across the river and they had 100 students and some drop out, some go to transfer to other schools, and the number goes from 100 down to 75, well, that 25 go to schools in other areas. The 75, the, the school system doesn't give, they only pay money per student. So if you've lost the number of students to some other place, you don't get the amount of money that you need for your school. That, to me, is discriminatory. It should be, what are we doing to bring this school to standard? But you have all these little obsolete laws that are in there that prevent and preclude you from accomplishing what you really want to accomplish and the way you want to do it. So uh, taking the responsibility can be a study group that you have for your children. We used to call them lyceum, lyceum. Sometimes they were called like a soiree. They were called all kinds of things. Or you have churches that have after-school programs. And in the after-school program, kids go there, get a little snack, and they sit down and do their homework, and you have volunteers from the community who go in and do the teaching. Now, we used to do that in black communities, but we've fallen away. 
Churches sit empty from Sunday to Sunday sometimes. They meet midweek prayer service and the choir meets. But the rest of the time, the building is empty. I'm suggesting that people, if you have retired teachers right here in the District of Columbia, you have people who are experts working for the government in high finance, high statistical workers, they're all here. We're all here, right here in the District of Columbia. And we're black. But are we willing to give up so much time, once a week, twice a week, to do tutorials to have our children come to standard? And at the same time, pressure the public school system to bring equity in its distribution of resources and quality faculty. Now, we had a program called uh, Trade for America, Change, uh, Learn for America, Change for America. This was, this was a program that was designed to help college graduates pay a part of their tuition. If you joined this, I'm blocking a Change for America, Compensating for America, Learn, Learn for America, that program. If you joined that and you worked for a year or two years max, as a teacher in a, in a school system, uh, part of your tuition was paid. Okay, now let's examine that. I'm a, a theater arts major. I have three months of training in the summer. Teach for America, that's what it was called. And then I'm assigned to a school. What schools do you think I'm assigned to to teach classes? I'm a theater arts major, but I'm assigned to biology, teach biology. You see, these are built-in and designed failures to destroy our, our children and our system. And who sits on top of that? Who watches that? Who lets that happen? Well, those are things to be discussed privately. Hmm. Oh, hold that thought right there, Dr. Nichols. It's 13 away from the top there. Eric's joining the conversation. Eric's on line two. He's calling from Long Beach in California. Good morning, Eric. Hi, hi. Good morning. Good morning um, to your, to your guests. Let me let me first preface this by saying I work for one of the largest one of the largest school districts in uh, California as a campus security officer. So I deal with the students on a firsthand basis every day, and I'm I'm the person when the student is disruptive in the class and the teacher want to remove. I'm the I'm the personnel who they call to remove. But let me just tell you what I observed. Eighty percent of the students that's wandering the campus aimlessly, ditching, not in class, look like us on them stupid cell phones, shuffling around every day. Eighty percent of that student body population I observed. Ninety percent of my job is observation to watch the students, see what they do. And let me tell you. The black administrators, the black teachers, and the black counselors don't care. I'm telling you, this is my job. They don't care. Even when we, even when we come to the, come to the administrators, the black administrators about our students, the black students. Hey, they just oh take them, take them, put them in um in OCS, which is called on campus suspension, which is babysitting, daycare on campus. Oh, just take them in there, and um, and they they they'll go to class next block. No, they ain't. They get passes from the teachers 
right? And don't go back. We round them up, truant, line the campus, take them in there. Oh, just just let them. They just they just do whatever they like, and administrators don't care. But let me say this: it starts first with the parents. Second, it starts with the school board, and then third, it starts with the administrators. And even when the teachers go to the administrators about issues with the students in the class. The administrators don't support the teacher. They try to brush them under the rug, you know, because they just want the salary and cruise into retirement at that salary with no way, no nothing. And if we, like the, like like your guest said, we are responsible for the education of our children, not European, because we know the European is not going to give us the right education. But our educators who went into the field of education, talking about they want to be educators, they're not doing their job, and they're not doing it intentionally. And I don't care which one of them is listening in the audience. Y'all don't do your job. Point blank, period. Y'all sorry, right. and you need to turn in your teaching degree. Eric, I got a question for you, though, before I let Dr. Nichols respond to what you just said. You, you, you're the, the uh, I guess you're the person they call when they, the students are acting the, up in class. I'm the campus security officer. That's my job. Right. Well, okay, so if you, my question to you then, if, when 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 teacher calls you and the students are acting out, have you ever had a student sort of square up on you when they take you on? Oh, well, let, let, well, let me tell you a story. I just had surgery on my knee, a torn patella and a torn meniscus. Why? Because I had a middle schooler that punched me in the face when I was trying to restrain him from a fight. And then in February, just earlier, get a call, teacher needs assistance, immediate ASAP, get to the big gym. What's going on? The young brother is in there foaming at the mouth, running around, talking about how he going to F the teacher up, he going to F this B up, et cetera, et cetera. Then he attacked my coworker, the other security officer. So when I tried to, I had to restrain him. Then we flopped around in the middle of the gym floor. It's ten o'clock in the morning. Let me tell you why. Because his cell phone got broke in PE. Why do you have a cell phone in PE? It's PE. The cell phone should have been in your locker. You think the administrators and the parent said, "Hey, you ain't even supposed to have a cell phone. You dead wrong." No, you know what they tried to do. Oh, well, hmm, let's see if we can low-key brush it off on the campus security officer. They didn't, even want to, they didn't even want to expel the kid. He don't hurt two. They don't attack the security officer. hurt two of us. And they talk about, oh, well, you got a right to education. No, you don't. He needs to be at home somewhere. They don't do anything this to is, the students no more. This is middle school, Eric? No, this, this last incident was at a high school in February. Yeah, because he wow. wanted to attack the PE teacher. And I, like I told the administrators, I have no doubt, had we not been there, he would have attacked the teacher violently and probably hurt her. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for sharing your your stories with us. We're coming up on a break, but uh, Dr. Nichols, I want to get to your response. Eric talked, one, about the violence, as he just mentioned, but two, also about the administrators. He says the black and the black administrators, these are people who are running these schools. Uh, they look like us, but they, they don't care. He says they, they just, you know, they're just there to cash their check and move on. And I guess, you know, implying that there's a lot of, I guess, social promotion. They don't care if, we're, if Leroy learns or not. They're just going to pass him on to the next grade 
it in the, in the next and, and keep on going. So I want you to discuss that when we get back. Folks, you want to join this conversation like Eric did, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes at six minutes away from the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. We're meeting after the top there with our guest, Dr. Edwin Nichols. Dr. Nichols is a clinical and industrial psychologist. And right now, he's basically known for exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. But right now, we're discussing AI, artificial intelligence, this new medium that's coming through and how we should embrace it. And, and basically, there's a the default here with our students because they're not learning. So how are they going to get to this new technology, this emerging technology? How can they handle it? Because the other groups are, are flying past us. It's not all of them. Let me just say this first. It's not all our students are acting out now. Some are really getting into it and they're understanding, but there's quite a few. And and for those, the few that are not embracing education, the system has, has something for you down the road. But uh, Dr. Nichols, Eric in Long Beach mentioned that the black administrators really don't care if our students learn. And, and they're... there's no accountability amongst them. He also talked about the, the, the violence on campus. Can you address those issues? Yes, um, there are two things here. I, I don't think that don't care. I think they're in a position in which they, they can't do what they would like to do. Let me give you a, a, an example. Uh, a student goes into a class uh, for algebra and has a real desire to learn, a good student. But in the same classroom, uh, they have maybe three classes for algebra, those that are going to do A work and those that do C work and those who just sit in the classroom and look at the look at their uh, cell phones and wait until the class is over so they can go home. Now, when you have that last class of people, you have troublemakers, you have people fight who are going to be very territorial about their their um, health and we're going to talk in spite of whatever you say. So you, in this particular thing that I know about, he had two teachers in there to teach algebra, but nobody wanted to learn. And the poor teachers tried on several occasions to start to teach something and then just gave up because they weren't getting any cooperation, nothing other than they're just sitting there waiting to go out. Now, why are they sitting there and not wanting to learn? That goes all the way back to when you know, the Leroy experience. It goes all the way back to the fact that children are not being taught to do uh, mathematics in, in the style in which they learn best. If you go to Africa, children learn arithmetic, and, and they, there's no, no question about it. But what makes the difference is we're trying to superimpose on our children an educational, an epistemological way of knowing that is foreign now, some of us get it because we can jump back and forth between the two models. Do it better than others. Some do it. The girls do it uh, more. They do it earlier than boys. Boys don't really learn to read until seven. But by the time you're seven, you know, girls have surpassed you, and and the school almost declares boys un, you know, not able to read. They're dyslexic. They're all these other things. 
And the reality is, neurophysiologically, many boys are not ready to read until seven. Well, how do other countries accommodate that? When you go to Sweden and to Norway and to Finland, uh, <clears throat> they don't start to teach boys to read until they're seven. Now, what do they do? What they do is they, they teach them another language. They become bilingual. They teach them how to play. They do play in the snow, all kinds of things, take their nap, get up and go. And then when they're seven, neurophysiologically, the majority of the students are able to then learn to read and write. Now, in the same continent of Europe, what's the difference between that and the French? The French start you in the first grade at five, not kindergarten, first grade at five. And if you're not successful in writing cursive in very tiny little squares, and you can't do the, the arithmetic and whatever is required of you, then you're dropped into the lower classes it, it just wait out your time until you know you've finished the eighth grade and then you go out and try to find a job. Other systems have the same thing, <clears throat> but they don't have the discipline problems that we're having. That's that's the difference that I see. Now, let me be sure that we understand black people can do arithmetic, they can do calculus, they can do any form of math. But what happens is we, our children don't see the people who have that. Let me give you a perfect example. There's a film that was called Hidden Figures. And anybody in the audience tell me who the woman, what was the name of the woman who did all that uh, top math, so much so that um, astronauts wouldn't go out unless she had checked the figures. Right here in Washington, we have a hidden Philly, a hidden figures alley. It's a little section of a street that's called in charge of this. Why not her name? Why not her name? Hidden figures is a movie. So you see, what when many white people see it, they don't believe that to be true. It's just a film. So this is this is the responsibility that we have to take for ourselves and for our own. Our, our own being. We have to look to see who's doing them. Uh, a colleague out in Tacoma, Washington, has the groups I'm telling you about, where these are retired civil servants that three times a week they teach and do homework and help learn. One of the requirements is when you turn a paper in, you have to have one uh, small bibliographic paragraph about a black inventor. You'd be surprised how much information these young people are able to, to glean and to bring in about the number of black inventors. So, you know, I, I'm, I understand the position of the administrators. They're so frustrated they don't know what to do. But these are children who didn't get on the path of learning at the right time. And I'm saying that we're not teaching in a way in which they can best learn. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right. Seven after the top of the hour, uh, Dr. Nichols. Carl's on line four. He's calling from Palm Beach County in Florida. Carl, good morning. You're on with uh, Dr. Nichols. How you doing, Okay. I seen um, uh, Washington, D.C. reported, and I heard California report. I wanted to give an account uh, for Florida, and when uh, particularly Palm Beach County, because it's one of the 67 counties in the state of Florida. But we have a problem from the, from the beginning, Carl. The system itself is designed to uh, fail us. And these are some of the things that we've discovered here in Palm Beach County. Now, the, the school district is the largest landowner. They own more land, more property than there, and it's the largest business. We always say follow the money. It's the largest business inside of the county. But when we look at the challenges that are facing the African-American, we know that we have a Florida law put into place where we need to look at the whole system, not looking at uh, classes or teachers or different um, aspects of it, but looking at the entire system system and we know that we need staff development in each and every area regardless of where it's located inside of either all of these systems and we understand that we need parent development and community development but we don't have that's where we don't have the resources to really uh, do what use our creativity in order to um, do some things for ourselves and when I was listening to the brothers and sisters talk about uh, the problems that we're having with our children um, we here in Palm Beach County, we sent once upon a time, we sent our police to a day training on African-Americans, but they only did a day call, and that sounds so ridiculous. But uh, it was still an effort to go in the right direction. But I know across the country, we haven't had that kind of um, uh, interaction at all. And that's what my, myself, along with Ms. Davis from Washington, D.C., we was, she was over this seat, um, the classroom teacher the uh, she was over something in um, Washington. We were trying to bring um, the system some new approaches to address the problems of African Americans. Because most of the time, you just ask the plain and simple question: Why must our children get an education? Most of us can't give a quantitative answer to that kind of question. But I think it's important when we have these kind of dialogues for us to look at the uh, the bigger picture, um, the systems, and all of these systems operate in all of these jailhouses all across America known as states, and we need to do an assessment of it. And I would like to have Florida, particularly Palm Beach County, to uh, get into the challenge if we should ever decide to do so, um, because I, we do believe that education is the cultivation of the human spirit and the human soul. And my reason with the brother, um, um, are we training our community? as it relates to the reality of what is actually going on inside of these systems. And our teachers, I defend them because they are part of something that they don't know what they are part of, just like you take the lion out of the wild and you put him in the zoo and you train him. But when he discovers who he is, he'll come back to himself. And I think we're in that kind of uh, paradigm right now, and we need to take a critical look at it. And the conversation needs to be serious, and I didn't mean to interrupt and I, I just wanted to say that to you. Um, but I'll tell you so what, I'm Carl, put it, put it in a question form. Do me a favor. Put in a okay. question form so uh -oh. Dr. Nichols can respond. Okay. Oh, okay. Is there any kind of development in your county as it relates to the relationship between the community and your school district? Is there a serious uh, effort in that? And if so, uh, what are the directives that are coming from that kind of 
uh, relationship. All right. Thanks, Carl. Dr. Nichols? I wouldn't be in a position to answer that. That's something that someone, you have to invite someone from the, like the superintendent of schools uh, that looks at budgets and those sorts of things. But what I would talk about is the fact that Florida is a perfect example of people not wanting us to know. If you look at Florida, what what did the governor of Florida do? Uh, advanced uh, advanced placement for for uh, you can take a high school class, you get advanced placement in college for that course. Which one did he deny? Anything that has to do with African American history or culture? Well, you can sit there and talk about well, they're not teaching our children; they won't let them have. No, we have to do that on our, on our own. You never hear the Jewish community talking about they're not teaching anything about our religion or about our culture or history. They do it in their own, like Sunday school, on Saturday class. They teach their own. We have to begin to take the responsibility to teach our own. Now, going back to the math situation, algorithms are the most important device to help you develop artificial intelligence. And if I sit here and start talking about algorithms, people's heads will will turn off because we haven't been trained to understand how it's done. The the um, the, the the algorithm is a series of mathematical encounters that helps us to develop things. Let me give you an example. Okay, well, hold that thought right there, Doc. We got to take a quick break. I don't want to bring bring uh, break your friend of thought, but we got to get caught up on the traffic. And whether we come back, I want you to explain and give us that example about algorithms, folks. You want to join this conversation with our guest, Doctor Edwin Nichols? Hit us up at eight hundred four five zero seventy eight seventy six fourteen after the top. I will be back in four minutes, right here in Baltimore on ten ten W O L B, and also in the DMV or on FM ninety five point nine and AM fourteen fifty W O L or information. His power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest is uh, a clinical industrial psychologist, Dr. Edwin Nichols. Most of you hear him before, and he's always exploring the philosophical aspects of cultural differences. And today we're talking about artificial intelligence and education and how, you know, some of our students are being uh, miseducated and someone's going to miss the mark. And some people are concerned with that because these children are our future. And uh, I'm having a discussion with one a parent about it, and she says, well, they'll figure it out once they get old. They probably won't if they miss the mark as children. But anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Nichols wants to talk to us about algorithms. So, Dr. Uh, Dr. Nichols, I'll let you explain. You're about to tell us a story about algorithms. Yes, there's a book that's uh, called The Treachery of Algorithms, a small book. Um, it just if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's, a, it's an excellent read. Algorithms in and of themselves are neutral. They're just an instrument that you can apply math skills to, to to come to an answer that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get. Um, many, many years ago, there was a film called The Battle for Algeria. And in that, you had, you had people that were fighting against the French, and they had a network 
uh, people that worked that would bomb places and so forth and so on. That would, and it was not known from one person to another. They were just sort of in a network that worked. Now, how did the French solve who was actually in the network and where they would commit their next crime? They used algorithms. Now, I can tell you, you know, what an algorithm is. Okay. Um, it's a cognitive skill. It involves learning, reasoning, self-correction, and creativity. That's what algorithm, that's artificial intelligence does all of those things. But the vehicle by which you put the information into it for doing the learning, reasoning, self-correction, and creativity is the algorithm. And the algorithm is a series of math computations that enable you to describe that. Okay. Simple way to look at an algorithm. If you go to the dictionary, uh, not a small one, but like on a bridge, and you look up the word black, and you look up the word white, you'll see only positive things about white. It's pure, it's good, it's sacred, it's all these other things. You look up the word black, and it's negative, it's this, it's that, and all those things. Now, that's a dichotomy between black and white. But there's no there's no real problem between black and white. It's when you when you add to it and you, you misuse the dichotomy that you come up with isms. So when I say all these characteristics, I'm making them all good characteristics for white and all bad characteristics for for black. Now I have up a situation in which whenever you hear black, see black, anything about black, then your mindset goes that that's a negative. When you hear or see anything about white, you talk about a positive. What When the stock market crashes, those are called Black Fridays, Black Saturdays. You see the, the term black. So in the Western culture, we have given anointed whiteness as good and black anything black as bad. Now, if you put that into two, two channels, when you go on your computer and you ask, um, what about vaccination? Are they good? Are they bad? Once you put on there information about vaccination, within two seconds, it will give you either polls on the idea of vaccination. Yes, they're good, no, they're bad. Once you select either good or bad, the rest of the information that will come to you on the computer is in that lane. In other words, it gives you more information about it being bad, scientific studies, 2.0 level. It gives you all kinds of information, and you're going down that rabbit hole. If you go the other way, 
you can hear all of the information about positive good, the, 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 the Center for Disease Control says, blah, 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 Dr. So-and-so says. But on the other side, you have the same thing going, Dr. So-and-so in his study said. So you have two possibilities. Once you make a decision about, am I going this side or the other side? Am I going to see it as a positive or a negative? And that's, that's the point at which the algorithms start to work in bringing you more information, more information, more information, more information. Now, the important thing is that if you are going to be balanced, then you look at both sides. For an example, I, I, I watch public, public news every day, public radio. Uh, on public television, but I force myself at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, to look at Fox because that's the other side. That's the other opinion. Now, I may not agree with them, but at least I know what they're talking about and their way of reasoning. I could give you the computations for math in terms of what an algorithm is and does and so forth, but it, it won't make sense because we don't have those skills, skill sets to analyze what all these things are, are doing or saying. Uh, one thing that is a way to look at them is to think in terms of general systems theory. General systems theory uh, was developed by uh, Lanchi, German. He did it with ducks or bees. And don't ask me how to go into all that, but that's where it all starts, general systems theory. What does it say? It says inputs, so you have box, the first box, you're going to do a problem, you have input. Then you have to process those inputs, you have to do something with them. And then the next is you have a product at the end. So you have input, process, output. Years later, they closed the loop with feedback about how successful the product was, the output, and how you could correct if you're going to do it again, make it start. So let's start with input. When you are thinking in terms of inputs, when I'm teaching this in organization development classes, I say, um, list inputs, that is, List, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to make, prepare tea. That's what I'm saying to you. Pre prepare tea. Now, inputs necessary to prepare tea. Well, one of the substances you have to have tea, and you have to have water. So some people will put down tea, water, cup. Okay. But when you actually begin to process it, to make tea, you have to have boiling water. Well, they, well, I, I didn't list that. Well, that, that's not a proper input. Uh, I, I, I have a tea kettle full of hot, uh, water I'm going to heat. Well, are you going to heat it with your hands or blowing on it or what? Well, I forgot to put the stove down. So you start with stove, water in the kettle, kettle on stove, Water boil, 
All right. Now, that is a good process. You see, as I'm listing the input, I'm thinking how I'm going to process it. That's the best way to do the kinds of problems that, that this is one of the types of problems that, that algorithms do. That's one methodology by which things are done. Now, when you, when you do an algorithm, and suppose I don't put the stove on in terms of heating the kettle. I've got everything else going. But when I come, I can't process it because I can't process to make tea without hot water. The whole system collapses. Now, what the machine does with artificial intelligence, it goes back and looks to see, what did I miss? Well, I missed the source of heat, to heat the water. Sometimes, when communication skills are not proper, your boss says to you, please, make, make me some tea. Well, the idea of tea for one group of people is a lace cloth, china, cups, saucers, teapot, all these different details. That's one way of making tea for one person. And you set up all that helping, hoping that the boss is going to be pleased about what you've done. And he looks at you and says, what took you so long? Why didn't you just put a tea bag in a styrofoam cup and pour some hot water over it? Well, you see, that's a breakdown in communication. So when you have those breakdowns in communication, those are the things that the algorithm goes back to correct. What did you really want me to do? Did you just want a styrofoam cup with hot water and tea bag? Or did you want something elaborate, like someone's going to come and have tea with you at 4 o'clock? These corrections are built into how algorithms work. You, you, an input, you process it, you get a product. If the product isn't what you want, why is it not what you want? Go back and find out what did you miss. That's feedback. And start over again. And because machines, because computers are, are rapid at doing these sorts of things, more rapid than we can with our just average intelligence, the, the body of knowledge that it collects, anytime it starts a product, if it sees where there's going to be an error based on what it already has stored in its memory, it will correct it. So what you have is you have a situation in which one of the top chess masters of the world concedes defeat to artificial intelligence because it constantly stores where the error was. It says, if you move your pawn from point A to point B, what are the subsequent things that could come out of that? One, two, three, four, five things could happen. If you do this, that will give you that result. If you do that, then what will the result do? And what it's doing is constantly going to find out what is the best next move for you? Because it has taken into possibility all those other things that are out there that do not, that are not going to be uh, helping you to win the game or to win the next pawn or the next piece. I don't know. That's going to, that's, Leroy, uh, I mean, now, um, Carl, that's. 
Right. And, and you know what? Hold that thought there because we're coming up on our last look at the traffic and weather in the different cities. But when we come back, though, Howard's got a question for you. But I got a question, too, about algorithms. Because since we're talking about our students who are not learning in school, are they going to use algorithms to figure out the future of these children? Are they going to be part of the industrial prison industrial complex because they already know at eight years old that they're not going to make it in society? So they have to build more jails or more places to put these, house these these. The uh, children are now causing problems at that age. I want you to explain that first as well. As I mentioned, it's uh, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We've got to get caught up on the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with your questions for Dr. Nichols right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, or information is power. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Edward Nichols. Dr. Nichols is a clinical industrial psychologist. Before we get back, you know, a couple of announcements here. The, the folks who are fighting to save that black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, they have a meeting at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, actually, with the director of the Parks and Planning in Montgomery County. Parks and Planning was the agency that gave the permit for the burial ground to be desecrated. And they also own a portion of the burial ground, so it's going to be an interesting conversation. Hopefully, they'll give us an update on that. Also, uh, uh, Reverend, uh, no, Pastor Anthony Williams, activist preacher out of Chicago, is in D.C. He's going to be at the MLK Memorial at uh, noon. He's, he's been trying to get violence declared as a public health uh, health challenge or health disease, and he's going to be, uh, he says he's going to make a major announcement there today. Also, it's election day, so when our eyes are in, on the, in Richmond, Virginia, where our company is trying to build a grand resort there, and if you're in Richmond or you know somebody living in Richmond and they want to go to the polls, they, Here's a number for you, 804-916-1914. That's 804-916-1914. Coming up later this week, you're going to hear from Neely Fuller Jr., another episode of his tome on racism and white supremacy. And you know what he says, if you don't understand how that system works and all that entails, then everything else you think you understand will only serve to confuse you. Professor Griff from Public Enemy will be with us as well. Also, Attorney Dwight Pettit's going to join us and explain what's going on in these trials that Donald Trump is going on and if Trump can actually be put on the ballot because, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a couple of states that are trying to get him knocked off the ballot. Also, journalist uh, Brother Obi will be with us to give us an update on Asada Shakur. She's in exile in Cuba, so we'll find out what Brother Obi has to share with us. Uh, so make sure that your radio is locked in on 1010 WOLB if you're in Baltimore. If you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, Dr. Nichols, Howard is waiting for you in L.A. He's got a question for you. He's on line two. Good morning, Howard. Howard. Morning. Thank you. Um, I just want to know. This might be off subject, but how do you feel they in Los Angeles took out all the shops and a lot of the schools? And I think that that has an effect on the kids too. They have nothing to go to school for. I think the only thing the kids can go to school for is really sports now. 
So do you think this taking out the shops out of schools and homemaking things I had when I was in junior high school and high school, how do you think that affects the kids nowadays? Do you think that has an effect on their learning? Well, what it does is it takes about 80% of the population and doesn't give it an opportunity to have a job in the future. When you go to Germany, you have 100 kids and you have 100 pupils starting out in the first grade. When they are 10 years of age, the German system says 80% of you will go and learn a trade for the next three years, and you will become a trade, which means you can get a job working in that trade. The other 20% at 10 years of age give nine more years in the German high school. And when they come out of the high school, some will, will only go halfway through that high school, come out and get a, get a kind of clerical job or something like that. Those that actually finish are able to go to the university or to college. We used to have the trades, used to teach home economics and so forth, but that was seen as the dumb kids, not the smart kids. So what a lot of the schools did was to eliminate those programs so that everyone would feel equal or equally as smart. And the reality is we're not all equal in our capacity. So that's that's pretty much how that happens. We do need those classes. Some places are now beginning to put them back. Uh, what you have now is you have a lot of people that are saying, well, go to the community college, learn a trade, and get a job, rather than to incur all the debt that would be uh, if you go for a, a degree or a PhD or an MD or something like that. Uh, the only problem with that is you can, when you have all these people that are technicians and nobody is willing to uh, invest $200,000 for uh, getting a degree in, say, basic medicine, almost $300,000, uh, doesn't want to take out that debt. Nobody wants to help them pay that debt. But if you get sick, where are you going to go? You don't need a plumber. You need You need a physician. So we have to think these things through. Um, while you're talking about that, let me let me give you another example of this industrial complex. There's a prison industrial complex. Remember we talked about children not getting the things that they need, being discouraged in the school systems and then special ed and then kicked out, getting into difficulty and problems? Where do they go? They go to jail. Where's the big chunk of money? Uh, the prison industrial complex. Now, let me give you something that's really shocking, but I go all over the country, and for any state in the United States, this is always true. You can send one student to your best university, the University of Michigan, the University of Nevada, not Nevada State or Michigan State, but the University of. You can pay their room, board, housing, every lab, every fee, books, everything that they have. Add all of that up together for one child to go to the best university in their state for one year, and that is less money than the state pays for one man in jail for the same year. Now, does that make sense? Or do they tell you where's the money? Remember, I talk about the object. The object is that's what they've done with the prison complex. And they're trying to do the same thing with the education process by telling you that this group of this this corporation can educate children better than the regular public school system. So Don, oh, so Dante Nichols, 
Yeah, it was very helpful. So what do we do, though? Uh, now you've, you've, you've outlined the problems that are facing our young people. Us as adults, what what do we do? Because I, I mentioned that they had a conversation with, with a, a teacher about this, why our students aren't learning, and, 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 and they're going through society. What's going to happen to them when they become adults and they can't function or, or can't compete? And she said, they'll figure it out. <laughs> she, you know, she said, they'll figure it out. They'll figure, the, the question is, you know, what solution they're going to come to? They, they, they're going to have to adapt to the underground economy or if they can't compete in the regular economy. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, they will. They, it's the underground economy. That's why you have people selling drugs. They know it's wrong. They know it's bad for their community, but they do it because that's the vehicle that's left to them. They don't have the skills to do other things. It isn't that they're not smart enough to do it. They're more than smart enough to do it. It's that we have not provided the opportunity for them in the way in which they learn. I'm right back to the epistemological models. We have to teach children in the way in which our children learn. And you say, well, how do they do that? If you go to Africa, a classroom, a class, there, the noise level in there is like you think, I can't, nobody can learn. But the kids are learning because they are communal children. They talk, they listen. It's called peer learning. They do all kinds of things together. That's how they learn. They learn by, uh, they learn by rhythms. You have, you have some people that have uh, developed tapes in which they teach the math tables by, by um, hip-hop or some other form of music. Kids learn all the parts of speech. They learn the grammar, everything else, because it is rhythmic. It is something that helps them to learn. Now, we, we, we know how, but we don't always do how. Because if you try to put some of these methods into the school system, then the state would come and say, well, this is not an adequate educational system. You're not following the curriculum and so forth. And this is where people have to come and make the difference. People have to come and make the difference. Now, if you look at the other side of this, uh, parents and their education. Parents didn't go to school board. They didn't go to any of these things. All of a sudden, a political person says, you need to go because this is what's happening in our schools. Now you have people running for the school board that were never interested in even going to a school board meeting. And that's where the power is. Those are the places that we need to be. We need to be on where decisions are made on how the money is going to be spent. Where do we have to be? Where the decisions are made for how the money is going to be spent. And that's where we have to have the powerful people. Now, if you're in a position like that, you need someone to tutor you in terms of what is best for us. You have the vote, but you may not have the knowledge about all the possibilities that are out there. So you should be not arrogant thinking, I'm in this position, but open enough to say, all right, community, I'm in this position. I can cast a vote. Help me to design a program or something that's going to be to the benefit of our black children because they're going to be left behind. Now, is it only black children? No. When you have white men that lost their jobs because of globalization. Now, people talk about bringing those jobs back. If you look, nobody brought them back. Even number 45 didn't bring them back. They're gone. 
And those men are now trying to figure out what they're going to do. When, uh, when COVID hit, they even lost more of the wealth that they had. They moved from lower middle class to upper lower class. What kind of jobs are they finding? They're finding jobs that are hourly paid uh, service jobs. The service industry is one of the biggest industries we're developing. But service doesn't do anything if there's nobody to buy the service. So what they're trying to do now is to educate people to get these jobs. And they're going in at the lowest level, which is go to the junior college, learn a skill, and get a job. But that's not competing with the world economy that's out there. When you look at China, they take a small percentage of of the people that finish the eighth grade, put them through high school and into college. That number is such a huge number in terms of numbers, small in terms of percentage of the population, but it's a huge number, and they are competitive beyond imagination. If you look to see right now in our country people that come from India, look how many positions they are responsible for. Go to the historical black colleges. Look and see who is in charge of, who's chair for the engineering department. It's not that we don't have the skills, it's that we don't train our people for them. And we have to train them within the way, the epistemological models in which they know best. You know, Doc, we we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about the the, 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 the prevailing thought in some parts of our community that if you're smart, you're trying to act white. And, and and that peer pressure, some of us, our children would rather be dumb because they want to fit in. Your response to that real quick. Yeah, well, um, that that has existed in, not, not like it does now. It used to be that when you, you, when you talk white, it means you can get a job. So what I do when somebody says to a student, oh, you're talking white, and they say, Dr. Nichols, they don't want me to, I got an IB and that sort of thing. And I say, well, you can, you can code switch. You can learn to speak in code, like IB, we bees. You can learn to conjugate in, in that way, but that won't get you a job on the radio. Carl would not have a job on the radio talking about we bees. Never. Okay? But when... I don't know if you drink or not, but you have a couple beers or something, you're with your friends, and you code switch. Can Carl speak in dialect? Yes, he can. So what does that do about making you white or black? It doesn't do anything about it. It's just code switching. That's one way to survive. Uh, when I'm with my close black friends, sometimes we have a completely different vocabulary. But when I go out for a job or when I'm talking on the radio or what have you, I'm very conscious of grammatical errors. I strive not to make them because that would indicate that I'm not an intelligent person in Western culture where they're counting and measuring how many grammatical errors did I make. That is so true. (laughs) Dr. Nichols, we're just out of time. Are you on social media? How can folks find you? Well, I'm, uh, I really don't, you know, I'm 92, so I don't answer all those things all the time. <laughs> uh, somebody puts them, I, I don't know where you could list them or something, I don't know, just, 
<laughs> I usually can zoom because you you probably there's probably a lot of uh, stuff out there on your YouTube stuff on there on you anyway. YouTube and, and is your a books lot. as well. Yeah. What you can do is I'm you know I'm available. I'm 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 available. You can find my information online address or something and send send some information to me or call me a call and I'll be glad to uh, share concepts and ideas with you uh, to the best of my ability. But I'm uh-huh. not I'm I'm how do you say it? I'm technologically limited. <laughs> we understand. But uh, D- Dr. Nichols, thank you for sharing all this information that you shared with us this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank You're you. Very for- well. All right, folks, we've got to get out of here. Five away from the top of the hour. We're running late. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.